You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 572. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 1st of June, 2023. Today's episode, two airliners abort landings in San Francisco because a Southwest jet taxied across runways. An Asiana Airlines emergency exit opens during flight, causing six injuries. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 572 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in the United States of America. And joining us from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A33340, captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, it's Captain Nick. Oh, hi there, Jeff. Hi, Les. Great to be back on after a very short sabbatical and pinching a punch of the first of the month. Very good. We uh, we missed you. We're glad that you're back. And also, from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, guys. It's great to have Captain Nick back. It is. Well, what about me? Is it okay? Oh, is yeah. It good it's to good have to have, have back you back, too? too. But you're oh, always yeah. around. Yeah, I'm always here. You're always oh, hanging well. around. Yeah, like I a know. bad smell. Uh, thanks. Have a good show, you two guys. <laughs> all right, cheers. <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to take it back. I don't think I missed you at all. <laughs> Stand by for news. All right, we're going to start off with this one. It's a doozy. Uh, it is, uh, involves a video, so I am going to, uh, go over here and, uh, add this to the stream and we'll take a listen to a local news affiliate describing this. This is from our friends at Vast Aviation, Real Aviation Communications. And it pauses for dramatic effect. And now... Is it possible for you to talk any faster than that? Southwest 1179, the approach cross 28 left, runway 28 right, line up and wait. At cross 28 left, 
minus on weight, runway 2 at right, southwest 1179. United 8141, turn left on Quebec, hold short of runway 2 at left. Quebec, hold short 2 at left at 8141. Quebec 246, Papa Hotel, visual 2 at right. Quebec 246, Papa Hotel, runway 2 at right, turn left. Turn at 2 at right, Papa Hotel. And uh, United 277 is going around. Hey, traffic off the parallel will be a right turn to the north with 24011, runway 28 right. Still around. Clear for takeoff. United 277 on the go. Clock. United 277, go around. On the go, uh, out of 700. United 277, turn left heading 260, maintain 3100. 260 and maintain 3,600, United 277. 3,100. United All right, that's enough of that. It's not quite to the end of the uh, video, but I think that we got the we got the gist of the uh, of the situation there. So um, Southwest was um, told to cross the inside the you know two parallel runways closely spaced two eight left two eight right. They were told to cross two eight left and go into position on two eight right and. Uh, uh, I guess maybe they weren't doing it uh, in very expeditiously, and the uh, United flight that was lined up for 28 left uh, decided that there wasn't going to be enough clearance there. They didn't think that the Southwest jet was going to be clear by the time they were getting close to touchdown, and they made the decision to go around. That may have been what the controller meant by for unknown reasons, but um Maybe in her mind, she was thinking that they were both going to be able to work out as far as the timing and spacing. But uh, anyway, you know, safety is paramount. And if there's any doubt, it's always uh, the safest, well, usually the safest thing to do. Can you always to, go around, Jeff? Yes, you can always go around, Liz. That's a good point. Let me uh, see if I can uh, hit the right sound effect. We're no. going green. That is not <laughs> you can right always go green. Okay, let me try this one. You can there we go. Hey. You can always go around. Coming down. You can always go around. All right. 
So I have these uh, the sound panel thing and have these uh, short keyboard shortcuts. If I hit G, that's of course going green. If I I thought if I hit Shift G, it would be the other, but no, you have to hit Option G to make that work. <laughs> so I messed up my so key combination, Jeff. It is very complicated. This is more complicated than flying a jet airliner, for sure. <laughs> I believe you. Um, <laughs> or it seems that way, anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, so um, the United guy is going around, the United crew, flight, whatever. And uh, the Southwest is getting close to 28 right. And uh, there's a lot of radio communications happening all at the same time. And people are stepping on each other. I did kind of hear like little bits and pieces of the tower controller clearing Southwest for takeoff. Uh, she starts by saying there's a, the previous traffic was turning to the North of blah, 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 you know, Windsor, blah, 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 clear for takeoff to right. Right. Well, the call sign was blocked. So the Southwest pilots decided, well, we're not absolutely positive that was for us. So we're not going to answer it or we're not going to take off yet. And then the Alaska flight on 28 right coming in, you know, for landing sees that the Southwest jet's still there. He probably is hearing all this going on and the confusion. And then finally, uh, the tower controller asks, um, are you going to take off? And, and he said, we didn't receive takeoff or we think the takeoff clearance was blocked. And then she said she made the little comment, which I think the Southwest crew took the wrong way. Uh, then you, you shouldn't be on the runway, blah, blah, blah. And what she didn't, what, I think what they took was from that was that they weren't supposed to be on the runway at all, even though she told them to go line up and wait on that runway. I think what she meant, she's probably thinking out loud, you know, the, the inner workings of her brain are saying, okay, well, this is not going to work out. He shouldn't be on the runway now. So I don't think it wasn't, she wasn't, um, criticizing them for doing something wrong. I think she was just saying to herself, I need to work out this problem and they don't need to be on the runway. So, and then of course he comes back by saying, well, you told us to line up and wait. That's the last thing we heard. And which is true. And I think at this point she's going, well, I'm not, I'm, I don't have time at the moment to explain what, what's going on in my head and why I said that. So let's, you know, I don't have time for an argument on the frequency, which is true as well. So there's a lot of stuff happening all at once, very uh, tightly sequenced um, instructions and events happening. And then you have some botched radio communications. And when I say botched, I don't mean that somebody has said the wrong thing. It's just that people are trying to talk at the same time. They cover each other up and then you see what happens there. Communication, communications are disrupted and then you find yourself in a little sticky wicket. So uh, would you agree, uh, Captain Nick, with my analysis? Yeah, and I think you're being uh, quite generous to the controller there because she shouldn't really articulate things that are just going through her head. She's got to stick right. to standard phraseology, otherwise people might get the wrong end of the stick. Um, yeah, uh, I'm interested to know how accurate the little cartoon that Vas Aviation um, does because, of course, the aircraft appear uh, huge, uh, whereas actually they're quite tiny in comparison right. on the on the real world. Uh, and I don't know whether they were correct in the length of time it took Southwest to get to two eight right because it just seemed to be an enormous. 
particularly for South Wales, who have a dreadful reputation for going around everywhere at the speed of heat. Um, it seemed to take him an inordinately long time to get to it, right? And even then, he didn't seem to be in position uh, ready to go when uh, he should have been. Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering what was uh, how accurate that is. I suspect not particularly. So I wouldn't I take you're right. much credence from that. Um, yeah, it, it's a shame because we are all aware, we should all be aware uh, as we're um, getting towards that critical stage of takeoff where everyone is around us because it's, you know, everyone's very vulnerable, both the guys on the approach and uh, you and your passengers. So when you get a clearance, you should you should know where the guys, how far away the guys are. You should have your TCAS on. You should be able to see them on your moving maps um, so that you can judge just how prompt you need to be. And we've heard it in the past. People don't think they can quite get it, get in in time. They they perhaps should say, uh, no, we'll, we'll hold and wait for these guys. But having said that, these controllers are pretty damned experienced, and they have in their head a mental clock going of how long it's going to take the this aircraft to line up. Um, certainly the first go-around might have been a bit quick for that uh, for that pilot to decide that he was being bolted, so he went around. Uh, but I'm not never going to criticise that. If ever a, a pilot thinks uh, the situation's becoming unsafe, they they just take the safest option, which in this case would be a go around. Because if you decide too late, you're going to lose fifty feet in the go around. You might get very close to somebody if you hang on to the bitter end before you decide that it's no longer safe to go around. Uh, but of course, again, this the symbology. These aircraft appear much bigger, overlapping the runways, whereas in reality they're much smaller and would be clear a lot quicker. Um, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it is helpful to argue over the radio uh, about what clearance you received. Uh, and what's more, if you hear what sounds like a takeoff clearance and you didn't catch your call sign, you're the only damned aeroplane uh, <laughs> on those two runways. <laughs> Who else is it for? Now, yeah. I quite understand why you wouldn't take that as gospel. You may not want to release brakes without hearing your call sign. But as soon as you can, you get a call in saying, blocked or clipped or say again my clearance yeah. uh, so that the girl can immediately repeat it and you stand a chance of getting off before the next guy is bolted. completely agree yeah i think that would have definitely helped in this situation you know in the big scheme of things in the old days good old days this probably would, would never have made a news item but it's only really because the faa have put a microscope on this these particular type of events, um, runway incursions, go-around, um, possibility of uh, um, there being an error here that could uh, jeopardize safety, um, particularly in this environment, on the, the runway environment, people uh, crossing runways without permission, that I think this has uh, made the news um, because uh, they, they're trying to stop any of these events, really, because there have been too many close calls lately. So um, in, in my my days, I don't think we'd have really been too concerned about it, quite honestly. No. You know, and that was the 
you know, the, the whole point of having a go around procedure and we practicing it all the time is that, you know, that's why it's there. It's for yep. these kind of events. And, uh, if it should be a non-event if performed properly. And in this case, it looks like the go around procedures were performed properly by both air crews. The only th- question that Nick and I may have is, was their decision maybe slightly premature, you know, because should they have let it develop a little bit longer? But again, it's really hard to second guess, especially uh, regarding your first point regarding the animation on the video. Uh, and I even think that uh, on on the VAS uh, aviation site, there's a like a little bit of a disclaimer there saying that, you know, we're doing our best to approximate this animation of where the airplanes are and such, but it's not going to be exact. And so that's part of the problem there. So we're looking at this thinking, well, obviously the guy's, you know, not moving very quickly. Well, (laughs) that may not be reality. So you have to take it with a grain grain of salt. But um, yeah, so that was another, I don't think that it was a, a super close call like the, Air Canada uh, Airbus that came in at night and the, one of the runways was closed and did a very late go around because they were lining up on a taxiway and not the runway. Always have to bring that. I know. Up. I'm sorry. It's, I'm, I'm not. It's not against. It's not a general brushstroke against Canadians <laughs> in general, Les. It just so happened. Hey, damn Canadians to be. getting it wrong again. <laughs> but oh, you know, man. honestly, it, yeah. If it, were, if it were an American crew or a European crew, that would never have happened. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just 1B. joking, Liz. 1B. 1B, okay. She's mad at me now. She's this is a good one. Fair this enough. Is a good one. I don't blame um, her quite honestly. Oh, this yeah, is an interesting good, one. Good video is. here. It is. And I'm going to start off uh, this next news item with playing the video because the local um, uh, news affiliate uh, does a pretty good job of uh, setting us up. Shocking video just as Memorial Day travel kicks into high gear. I should say it's not the local um, news. It's no. Inside Edition, which is a national uh, news program here. In, well, it's news-ish program here in the U.S. A disturbed man opens a plane door during a flight while panicked passengers grip their armrests. And it went on for five long minutes. So how could this possibly happen? Airplane doors are supposed to be kept airtight and locked. Les Trent spoke with an aviation expert to find out. Absolute terror. A passenger just opened the airplane door mid-flight, a feat said to be impossible. 194 passengers are on board, and they're getting battered by the intense wind. Imagine how they must be freaking out. The plane was 600 feet off the ground, minutes from landing in South Korea when it happened. Witnesses say the passenger was sitting next to the emergency door. He apparently showed no signs that anything was wrong when he suddenly removed a plastic cover, pulled a lever, and the door slid open. How is that even possible? Today, everyone is wondering how the heck this happened. How the heck do you open the door not supposed to open midair? It's supposed to be impossible. How did it happen? I think the most important thing to identify in this story is the phase of flight that this occurred in. This was at the landing of the aircraft when they are going in for their final approach. It actually is possible to open an emergency exit door. The man could not have opened the door at 20 or 30,000 feet. It is physically impossible to open that door 
when the cabin is pressurized and it's at its normal cruising altitude. Nine people had to be treated at the hospital for breathing difficulties. Talk about scary. Inside Edition. Without permission. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> it kind of caught my attention. I'm sure a lot of people's attention when uh, we heard about this this story, this event, because I, we've been preaching for years on our show, and a lot of people have said it over and over again. You know, I don't know why you're trying to open that door. Uh, it you ain't gonna be successful. It's, there's no way that you can possibly open the door in flight. Well. Um, I guess we have to temper that admonition, uh, slightly, uh, Captain Nick, you've flown the Airbus for many, many <laughs> yeah. years. Um, and, uh, maybe you can kind of give us your analysis of this whole thing. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, you, through the vast majority of the flight, uh, the, the assumed, uh, safety of the door, um, is quite correct in that it, it's as soon as there's a small amount of pressurization inside the cabin, um, the door physically can't be moved away from its lugs. So the door um, sits on a set of lugs in the hole, and uh, the pressure on, on the inside of the door caused by the pressurization just holds it firmly in place. And the lever, even though it's it's a big old lever, is is not strong enough to uh, and you, a man or a woman would not be strong enough to to move it. However, um, during the final stages of the flight, uh, we're going to bring the, the pressurization down to match the air pressure at uh, the airport we're about to land at. Because obviously, when you get on the ground, the um, outflow valves are going to open fully, and um, you're going to let the airplane equalize in pressure. You don't want there to be a big rush of air and everyone's ears to pop, feel very uncomfortable uh, as a, a large amount of pressurization equalizes. Um, so uh, the automatic uh, pressurization system will match the pressure in the aircraft to that that's on the ground, and they're only about 600 feet above the ground, so it's pretty close to being matched. Uh, as soon as it is matched, there is insufficient pressure on that door to prevent someone from opening. After all, think about it. Um, they're only 600 feet from landing. As soon as they're on the ground, you might want to be able to evacuate. You know, it comes screeching to a halt in the runway. You might want to evacuate. You don't want any pressurization left on the aircraft. Now, to ensure that, normally, as soon as the weight on wheel switches are made, uh, the outflow valve is going to open and uh, the pressure will equalize. But uh, it's going to be pretty close to that at 600 feet depending on the day. And don't forget, these systems are not perfect. There's a little bit of leeway. So in, in some cases, you might even get a slight negative pressure. Anyway, um, yeah, it can be done. Uh, and uh, in addition, you can you could, in theory, try open a door during the takeoff run. And in particular, in my old outfit, we used to get airborne regularly with the, and it was a standard procedure for a while, with the engine bleeds turned off. So there was no air coming into the cabin to provide pressurization at all. And we only turned that on at 1500 feet in the climb out. Uh, that was a company procedure to, um, 
uh, it was something to, it was a, <laughs> a system uh, that we adopted to ease a problem with the engine uh, air bleeds. Uh, it's too hard to get into. I don't want to get yeah, confused right. by all that. Um, so, uh, and let's just bear in mind, with the door armed, as it would be uh, during the whole of the flight, you don't disarm the doors until you're just about to park the airplane. Um, as soon as you move the lever of the door um, down sufficiently far, uh, the doors are going to be assisted open by a pressurized bottle. Uh, and um, that bottle will throw the door open, and that's to just get that door out of the way in case you want to evacuate. Um, and then the slide will burst out. Um, if <laughs> so, the the guy only needed to move that handle a certain distance, and the door automatically threw itself open. Uh, and obviously, that assist uh, bottle has got sufficient uh, force in it to throw the door. Uh, open against the airflow because it seems to have gone forward um, and um, bang, then uh, the slide has come out of that uh, hatch beneath the uh, the uh, door there, frangible, and, and probably ripped off and blown away. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, let's just um, ease most people's minds. Most of the uh, cabin doors are um, manned by one of the cabin crew. So the vast, you know, the, most of the doors will have a cabin crew member sitting beside them. And one of their jobs is to control that door to prevent uh, uh, passengers getting at it until, uh, you know, in, in an emergency situation, until the uh, door is open and the slide is deployed, etc. So they're, they're basically guards of the door. Um, but uh, on an aircraft like the 320 and 321, they've got. Uh, exits that are unmanned. In other words, there's no one sitting at them. A passenger sits at them. They're actually, uh, you know, quite nice places to go sit because they're a little wider than the usual seat pitch at those areas because obviously there's an exit there. They want people to freely get out. But to prevent the passengers from uh, interfering with the door handle, uh, there's a, a plastic cover <laughs> all marked up. So, <laughs> so. You know, don't touch this except in an emergency. Um, and, um, you know, if they lift that guard, it'll immediately alert the cabin crew that the door is being interfered with. There's a micro switch on it. So, uh, but there's no person there to slap your hand. And, uh, you know, it's possible that this bloke um, uh, just did exactly that. He went, oh, I wonder if I could mess about with this and see what happens. Well, now he knows. <laughs> He's probably going to yeah. get uh, prosecuted. Uh, it's an interesting thing. That I don't know if you've ever sat in the aircraft and looked up at all the important switches over your head and gone, I wonder what would happen if I turn that one off right now, you know, mm -hmm. or, uh, oh, you know, I haven't, haven't moved that switch for a while. I wonder if I, if I <laughs> yeah. do that. That is sometimes a temptation. We're talking about the cockpit, right? Yeah, where you kind of go, I wonder what would happen. I don't think it should do what it would normally do if we were on the ground, if I did it right now up here in flight. I'm sure there must be some kind of a safety mechanism. 
But then, and, and you're very tempted to do it, and I guess maybe some people do, but I've never had, I've never had no, enough no, courage you, to do there, it. No, the, I know. There's this, something's going to go this, wrong. There's uh, this safety barrier that sort of comes across your your mind and says, no, no, stop thinking such stupid thoughts. Leave them thing alone. Right. That's um, I mean, I remember in the Air Force, we were giving a guy a, a, a ride in the backseat of a Hawk, and um, he pulled the ejector seat handle. Halfway through the flight, <laughs> so uh, he claimed the seat fired itself. Now we didn't believe him, but hmm. there you go. Uh, and he ejected himself. The, the pilot sitting in the front, luckily, uh, Commander Jack wasn't set up for him to go oh, yeah. as well. He 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 just went, got very noisy. <laughs> wow! And he he uh, you know made sure that someone came out and found this bloke in his parachute but uh you know he obviously went one stage further a bit like mm. this bloke sitting beside the door i wonder if i open the door now or try right. to open the door because I'd, I'd really like thought, to exit the airplane as quickly as possible when yeah we arrive i wonder at the what gate. if i actually i'd love to have a go at this ejector seat thing or as if i pull this black and yellow handle <laughs> there you go well that you know that reminds me of uh some feedback from larry that we're going to talk about uh, later in the show regarding uh, ejector seats and that sort of thing. Uh, oh, excellent. Tie in That's with this. Um, Michael uh, Kuypers, Mike Kuypers in our uh, live audience asks the question, were the passengers in any danger? Oh, well, yeah. You've got a bloody wide open door a few feet from you, uh, from you and anything that's uh, really stopping you from uh, standing up and falling out of it is your lap strap. So I can see you've got your lap strap on, then I think you're pretty safe. But uh, uh, someone might suddenly go, oh, I don't want to be here and undo their lap strap, try to move away from the door. The aircraft might hit some turbulence. They might stumble. I mean, there's nothing going to blow them out, but they might fall out. That would be pretty right. tragic. So it's it's it is possible I now had there had there been um a, a lot of pressurization in the airplane at that time then you have the that action of uh, the equalization of pressure of air rushing out of the airplane and in that case if, especially if you're not uh, buckled in uh you could get sucked right out that big giant hole but Indeed. in this case the whole point of, I mean, the whole reason or that the door was able to open to begin with was the fact that there was very little pressure differential, uh, pressure differential, which what, what we call is a Delta P. Yay, I got it in there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so uh, there wasn't any danger of anybody getting getting sucked out. And there was some reports that some of the passengers suffered some breathing problems. But as was pointed out by several in our live audience here, uh, that was most likely because they were hyperventilating because uh, it was an exciting uh, kind of a situation. They were kind of panicking. They were not sure exactly what was going to happen to them. Uh, so that's understandable that some people might have been a little upset. Oh, yeah, I would have been. Yeah, it's pretty stressful being in an airplane during the landing phase anyway, but to do it with the door open right yeah. beside you now, would be uh, a bit of a worry. Now, Asiana uh, did uh, the aftermath of this, and I don't know if they're still doing it, but they decided to keep uh, the seats that were near these um, exit doors um, like blocked off and not allowing anybody to sit there just to, in, until they could figure out what to do about the situation. And uh, some of the other uh, Korean airlines considered it, but uh, I think they're still 
analyzing whether or not that that's something they a step that they need to take. But uh, again, I don't know if Asiana is still, you know, keeping passengers from oops, sitting uh, at these at these seats near the uh, exit doors or not. And the other thing I'd like to add before we move on is that the 321 has four of these exit doors um, uh, along the left side, uh, one at the very front where they probably likely do most of their passenger offloading and onloading. Uh, there's one right in front of the wing uh, and in front of the engine. And then the one, this one, the L3 door, the third door on the left, behind the wing and behind the engine. And so that um, when that slide came out, we're looking at a picture of it right now, uh, the uh, the slide, you know, got ripped off, obviously, in the windstream. Uh, but fortunately, it was behind the uh, where the engine is. Now, I'm not sure what would have happened if the L2 door, the one that's ahead of the in front of the wing, uh, if the if the slide had, would have gotten into the engine or not, that would have been a even bigger that, problem. That indeed would have been. Uh, I think we had one self-deploy on a 747, and uh, from memory, I don't think it went down an engine. It was forward of the engines, but uh, that is always a, a concern, um, yep. that you know, you're going to get debris in the engine, and that would be a problem, but depending on which door, of course, opens. Yep. Well, main man Micah has uh, something here to wrap this thing up. The moral of the story is planes don't suck at low altitude. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people would say they don't suck at any altitude, but we get we get what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, by the way, I mean, it would be feasible to put some kind of a bolt on that door that could be withdrawn during an evacuation. But the more complex you make these systems, the less likely they are to work in an emergency, particularly if the aircraft has, um, you know, perhaps landed with no gear or gone off the runway and um, the fuselage has been bashed about, that system might jam. And that's the last thing you want to happen. The, you want to keep these emergency exits simple and easy to operate and as free from complexity as possible so they are incredibly likely to work correctly in, in when you need them. But, of course, there's no stopping <laughs> inquisitive humans who have no common sense. But there you go. All right. Um, I think we're going to skip uh, C and we're going to jump to E. Is that correct, uh, Liz? Yes, okay. Sir. Yep, that's correct. All right. Um, this. You guys were mentioning this plane on the last show. Yeah, I we think. were actually. Um, on the last episode, uh, unfortunately, you weren't with us, uh, Captain Nick, uh, but we there was uh, mention made of uh, this particular airplane. Um, this is from airinsight.com. And uh, the title of the uh, the headline is the uh, COMAC, COMAC, I guess, C919 enters commercial service with China Eastern. Um, so that the uh, COMAC and China Eastern Airlines ticked an important box on May 28 with the entry into service of the C919, some five and a half months after the delivery of the first and so far only C919 available to China Eastern. The carrier operated the first commercial service from Shanghai to Beijing. Uh, COMAC C919 enters commercial service with China Eastern. Okay. 
So it's flight uh, MU9191 departed Shanghai right on schedule at 1033 local time, landed in Beijing at 1231 a.m. The service, which reportedly, wait, 1231 a.m.? Is that that far? If they left at 1033 local time, that must be 1231 p.m. I think that's a mistake, a typo there. That would have been a very, so. very long flight. <laughs> 22 yeah, hours. Not, it's not in the dark. Yeah, 14-hour flight? I don't think so. Uh, the service, which reportedly had... It's a very slow some plane. Liz says it's a very slow plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. might, might, be some, might be a problem for some people. Uh, the service, which reportedly had some 130 passengers on board, received a water salute from the fired brigade, brigade at 1454. Uh, 9192 returned to Shanghai again. Yeah, that was a mistake there on the AM PM. The aircraft with registration B919 Alpha is scheduled for service to Chengdu. Chengdu on Monday. Chengdu. Uh, Chengdu. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, let's see. The first service follows a prolonged series of pre commercial verification flights. Before the C919 could enter service, China Eastern had to de demonstrate. That the uh, that the aircraft during uh, they had to demonstrate that uh, this is not written very well. It's really really <laughs> tripping me up. Okay, in other words, they had to do a bunch of checks and verification flights before the uh, regulatory agency would allow this thing into service, and that's what they did. Um, they saw her operate on numerous routes in China. Um, during these verification flights, the aircraft ran into some technical issues that caused a disruption of the program. Uh, they were, the aircraft was flown back to the Comac factory for checks and repairs, and everything was still under warranty, so they didn't have to uh, suffer any extra. Uh, they, I'm making that up. Uh, let's see. <laughs> second, uh, So China Eastern expects to take delivery of four more C919s during the year. The second aircraft with factory registration Bravo 001 Kilo performed its maiden flight on May 8 and has done two more flight tests on May 10 and May 18. So this is taking quite in this thing has been in development and production sort of uh, for quite some time. And, uh, you know, it, it just makes me wonder, you know, China with their technical prowess and manufacturing prowess uh, it just kind of strikes me as why is it taking so long for this whole process to take place well i don't think they have any great history of a aircraft production um you know i think it probably takes a while to build up the expertise to put something uh, this complex together with ease so it doesn't surprise me they're having a few hiccups um it's interesting to see how well this will be received in other countries. Yes. True. Probably Russia would be pretty happy um, to take some. I, Liz thinks that Russia might be happy to take some. Well, I no. was, <laughs> was going to mention that, that I thought got better of it, but there you go. Yeah. Now, is this the one that has the, are the engines are actually made by the Russians, or is that, it seems like there was some kind of, uh, working together between the two countries on... Oh, I'm, I'm know, sure your staff will aircraft. work that out for you and let you know. Staff! Stand by. Get on it! <laughs> Stand by. They're, they're, busy, they're busy researching it as we speak. Excellent. Um, and um, the... Um, should, should I wait? 
a little bit. You know what? It's it's not that important. I guess we can move on to the next item. What do you think, Liz? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, but oh, no, I, I'm going to save on. F for staff. Go to G. Oh, okay. We're not going to go to F. We're going to go to G. Okay. And um, <laughs> so uh, this, you may have seen this, dear listener, uh, this video um, in the a- aviation um, social media world. Uh, and this was from twitter.com, uh, Scotty Bateman. Uh, I'm sure a lot of folks follow him. Um, and it's a, it's a video that I want to play. It's a Twitter video. And, uh, so let me load that up and, uh, here, I think I named it properly so I can find it relatively quickly. Okay. So this is video of a, of a video. So it's video camera shooting, um, a screen of a computer monitor. So it's not the best video. Uh, and, uh, it shows, uh, it's kind of a surveillance security kind of camera, uh, showing the front of a Southwest airline 737. Obviously that's all they fly 737s and, uh, shows the ramp personnel, uh, going, uh, pulling the electrical power cable and trying to attempting to plug it in to the, uh, the, the receptacle on the, uh, right side, the uh, starboard side of the aircraft uh, up toward the front. And let's see, uh, let's take a look and see how this worked out. Starboard side, that's very old school. I I did that for you, Brits. (laughs) All right, so he's got the the cord. I think he's thinking, I don't know, that doesn't look like it's really in there, right? It doesn't feel like it's seating properly here. He's still... Oh, he's giving it a couple of hard pushes. Yeah. Well, let me try it again. Let me push it in. Well, I guess I guess it's okay. Well, let me check one more time. Yeah. Oh, I'm really putting in some leg, some force here. Uh, he hasn't checked to see if there's anything maybe in the receptacle that's keeping it from seating properly. Um, okay. That must be alright. So he's walking back over to the, uh, the power panel for the uh, external power. And... Uh, <laughs> He's obviously, he's already hit the switch, and there's flames uh, coming out of it, and uh, and smoke, smoke. and lots of sparks. But he's still standing there. He's doing nothing. And he's standing by the the box where all the controls are for the external power. It's probably about 15 feet away. And somebody else is going, "Uh, this is not right. And so you can see them run out of frame. Look at that bed. Oh, on fire now, Jeff. Yeah, it's on fire. And then, stand at the uh, ground power control. And he's just looking. <laughs> now somebody found a fire extinguisher. And then I think very soon here we're going to see um, one of the pilots running outside to see what's going on. Wait, is he still in the bin? Yeah. Watch. Oh, there's still some flashing going on from behind yeah. all pilot. that CO2. There's the pilot, one of the pilots, going around to see what's going on the here. Rescue. And, uh, but you know, nobody has pulled the darn power cable out of the socket. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's like, I think that would be one of the first things I do is like yank that thing and get it away from the airplane. Uh, now it's, it's hard to see exactly what's happening because there's so much smoke. <laughs> it's just obscuring everything. And, uh, yeah, so it looks like they got the fire out. Although I'd still see some kind of flashing, or maybe that's a reflection from another airplane's uh, yeah. very well. rotating beacon, uh, kind of 
splashing against the uh, the smoke. But yeah, that didn't work out. You know, somebody was saying in this original thread, oh, the guy tried to connect it to the pedo tube. And I'm thinking, no, that was <laughs> that's not what happened there. I mean, it, that was the actual, you know, access panel for the ground power and communications box for the uh, the tug driver to communicate with the with the pilots. Um, it's just that I guess he should have taken a clue there when he was trying to plug the thing in that something was not right and maybe he shouldn't have turned the power on. So. Perhaps there's a bent pin in there or something. But having said that, isn't the ground uh, power unit supposed to um, check, make certain checks to before it puts all the vaults down the cable that uh, it's getting a kind of the correct electrical response from the aircraft. So um, I don't know. I would think that there would be some kind of a. I mean, I know the aircraft is usually very good at making sure that the um, phase and the voltage is all within limits before it connects, uh, mm -hmm. allows that power to come into the electrical system of the aircraft. Um well, I don't know whether that's the same for the GPU, the ground power unit. Yeah, I don't know. All I can say is it was a uh, it was a very a very smoky kind of scene. You see, I, I I was I was all you see, <laughs> I was all prepared to accept that he tried to plug it on a onto an AOA vein or a, a pito probe because the Airbus ones are directly under the center of the fuselage, but this is mm. what a, a 737, is it? Yeah. 737. Okay. So yeah. I'll, I'll bow to your greater knowledge. Well, I, you know, I'm, I've never flown the 737 myself. I'm assuming that it's the same location. Uh, but honestly, I don't remember as, as far as the 727 is concerned, I just don't remember exactly what side of the uh, knows the uh, the uh, uh, panel is um, main man Micah says is this connector USB A or USB C? Huh, I see it's sparkling. It must be a lightning port. Oh, that deserves something. Man, a great quick, and repartee. Quick yeah, enough to actually get to it, but uh, let's see here. Where's my laugh track? Here we go. <laughs> There we go. Very delayed response Very good. from my part. Just before you move on, Jeff. Yes, ma'am. The Russia-China joint venture was for the wide body, the 929, uh, the not nine the 919. Okay. Yes. Hey, you know, at least I had something in the back yeah, of my head no, said that there was some kind yeah. of a collaboration, yeah. I think, between the two countries, but not right. this one. The uh, 919 I, I whole boxes did come up with a comment also saying yes, that those did. engines are CFMs. Oh, uh, okay. They're leap turbofans. Ah, okay. Yep. So it's a uh, Chinese and um, American uh, kind of uh, collaboration. Or uh -huh. CFM, I don't know who all uh, is part of CFM. Is and Maybe there's some European yeah, uh, involvement a, as well. It's a conglomeration of people. Conglomerates. <laughs> a bunch okay. of dodgy engine makers. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. dodgy. Which one do we sh should we go to next, Liz? Uh, you're going to go to H. Okay. H. Uh, H. Uh, from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Woohoo. Woohoo. Uh, let's see. An American Airlines passenger who spat on a seatmate, shoved a flight attendant, and then opened emergency an emergency exit while the plane was taxiing to the gate 
before sliding down the emergency chute and running across the tarmac, has been ordered to pay the airline more than $42,000 in restitution. Cynthia McKnight, 24 years old, of Rochester, uh, New York, I guess, was uh, sentenced last week after reaching a plea deal with prosecutors over the April 19, 2022 incident, which resulted in all operations at Buffalo Niagara International Airport being temporarily halted as law enforcement brought the situation under control. Prosecutors alleged that McKnight became irate when flight attendants asked her to get off her phone as the Chicago O'Hare band plane was taxiing to the runway in Buffalo. McKnight got out of her seat, went to the front of the Embraer regional jet, and started to argue with some of the passengers before spitting on someone sitting at the front of the plane. In her plea agreement, McKnight admits that she had, or she then attempted to open an exit door. Well, not only did she attempt, but she actually managed to do it and pushed a flight attendant who attempted to stop her. Uh, She then opened the door while the plane was still taxiing, which automatically deployed the emergency slide. McKnight then slid down the the emergency slide and started to run across the tarmac before, you know, she forgot a beer. Remember that incident that happened several years ago? The cabin attendant Yes, yeah. he showed his displeasure at his company by sliding down the slide and running away with a beer. Yes, I remember yeah. that. Brilliant way to finish uh, your what career. Way to go. Allegations that she resisted arrest and damaged a wall in her cell at the cell at the. Yeah, I was going to say, what kind of a cell can you go in there and damage the walls? I, don't I mean, did they give her a pickaxe or something? I don't know what she did. She was not happy. Uh, she did, however. <laughs> Admit that her actions resulted in the flight having to be canceled and passengers rebooked onto alternative flights. American Airlines estimated that the cost of rebooking passengers and replacing the emergency slide would have set it back in the region of $50,000. McKnight pleaded guilty to simple assault and was sentenced to time served. I'm not sure it doesn't say how long she served. And three years probation. She has been ordered to take part in a substance abuse program and a mental health treatment program. Yay, good. (laughs) Wow. Uh, okay, so U.S. District Judge Lawrence uh, Villardo also ordered that she pay $42,128 in restitution to American wow. Airlines. Yeah, so justice actually prevailed in this case. Yeah. No, certainly. You know, the only thing wrong with this story, she was what? Cynthia, not Karen. Ah, uh, bam. That would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. All right. So the uh, next one I'm going to save as well because Nixie may join is. Steph. So okay, so uh, go we're going to number J. Skip J. around a, a little bit more here. We're going to go to Juliet number J. Number J? No, number uh, letter J. Uh, well, that's so it's a number and a letter zero one J uh, from the AviationHerald.com. Uh, an Air France Airbus A350 900 registration Foxtrot Hotel Tango Yankee Oscar performing flight. 291 from Osaka, uh, Japan, to Paris, Charles de Gaulle, France, with uh, 324 people on board. <laughs> Stop laughing at me, Liz. Was en route at flight level 350. Oh, that's clever. An A350 at flight level 350, 350. About 420 nautical miles northeast of Osaka when the crew decided to turn around and returned to Osaka due to a malfunction of the weather radar and malfunction of the airspeed indications. The aircraft descended to flight level 200 and landed safely at Osaka's uh, Kansai's runway 24 right, 
about three hours, 10 minutes past or after their departure. Japan's Ministry of Transport reported a post-flight inspection revealed a dent on the nose of the aircraft that was not present before the flight. Well, I would hope not. That's pretty big. I think think even the most crass uh, pilot would have spotted that in the walk around. Even if the captain had done the walk around, he probably would have noticed it. Uh, The malfunctions of weather radar and airspeed are thought to be related to the dent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, funny old thing. (laughs) (laughs) The cause of the dent, possibly a bird strike, is um, under investigation. Well, I don't see uh, any blood. Do you see blood? No snarge. No No snarge. Good point, Liz. No, no. Uh, It's a snarge. Nothing to send to this national snarge lab. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure they have one, too. uh, I mean, it is possible that this could have been a manufacturing defect and it just collapsed. Mm -hmm. They do that. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, you don't hear about that happening t- too often, but no, usually when you uh, see something like that, it's either, as you mentioned, uh, Captain Nick, a bird strike or like a very large bird. Strike, yeah, would have been. Uh, yeah. Or uh, like an encounter with uh, hail or something like that. But obviously, yeah. that's, I don't see any other damage that like what you would see with. Uh, oh, it could have been a meteor. Yeah, a meteor <laughs> uh, strike or uh, <laughs> some kind of a extraterrestrial um ufo or something uh, yeah they uh, they hit a little green man that they, they may have although i don't see any green man well, snarge that would have uh, been left either. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of a mystery at this point they're not sure exactly yeah. what happened hopefully but we'll, they did the right thing turning around they did the right thing they turned around and then they turned the aircraft around as well i'm not sure why the crew turned around though um because all they'd be looking at is the back of the cockpit wall um uh, that that's uh, just um, for good luck. Yeah, could be. maybe it's just a tradition. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, actually, kind of like throwing uh, coins in the engine. It, yeah, it's an ahead. interesting one. I, if um, uh, it's unlikely, the crew would have continued all that quite long flight without weather radar. But you know, you would have certainly had a, a talk about it. Uh, should we try and get home without the radar, uh, or should we divert? Um, and, uh, you know, you look at your en route forecast and decide how much weather there is you might have to avoid, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. You certainly can't get airborne without a weather radar. So if it's broken on the ground, I say you can't. You can only do it if you're guaranteed not to right. require it during the flight. So and you, no dispatcher you, is going to give you a no radar clearance. Exactly, uh, you know, yes. <laughs> so so there are some circumstances where you could fly without a weather, weather radar, but uh, mm-hmm. um, not on a flight this long because you just can't guarantee you're not going to need it at some point. And I was going to say that, well, um, you know, what about the po- the possible drag effects of this? But, of course, they had no idea <laughs> uh, when they were in flight that, that the nose had, uh-huh. had this huge dent in it. So they would not yeah, have known. Interesting, isn't it? You know, if there had been I mean, more we hit a we hit a big, one of those big uh, sort of kites uh, on the way into Hong Kong once. And it, it hit the radome and there was an enormous whack. We were on the approach, so we weren't going that fast. Uh, but we, we absolutely... You know, zeroed in on it, and it went smack right at the nose of the airplane. And when mm. we uh, got out and looked up at the uh, aircraft after we landed, you could see the distinct star shape of the radome as it had bent in, but then it popped back out again and looked oh. absolutely normal, apart from this, the faint line of uh, a lot of blood smeared over it. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, uh, the star shape of the uh, way that the radome had deformed and then popped back out again. Hmm. And, uh, right. of course, as we flew past, we could see this guy in a fishing boat shaking his fist at us, holding up this dead bird. Well, maybe you were doing him a favor. <laughs> Possibly. Who knows? Okay, let's do um, my favorite news story. Oh, okay. Let's. <laughs> we're going to do Liz's favorite news story for this uh -oh. week. And uh, let's see. This is... Uh, kilo a man okay this is from newyorktimes.com uh here's what happens when your lawyer uses chat gpt a lawyer representing a man who sued an airline that's the tie-in to aviation here relied on artificial intelligence to help prepare a court filing it did not go well the lawsuit began like so many others a man named roberto mata sued the airline avianca saying he was injured when a metal serving cart struck his knee during a flight to Kennedy International Airport in New York. When Avianca asked a Manhattan federal judge to toss out the case, Mr. Mata's lawyers vehemently objected, submitting a 10-page brief that cited more than half a dozen relevant court decisions. There was Martinez versus Delta Airlines, uh, Zickerman versus Korean Airlines, and of course, Varghese versus China Southern Airlines, with its learned discussion of federal law and, quote, the tolling effect of the automatic stay on a, what? The tolling effect of the automatic stay, oh, I'm sorry. Legal stuff. Yeah, the tolling effect of the automatic stay on a statute of limitations. Okay. There was just one hitch. No one, not the airline's lawyers, not even the judge himself, could find find the decisions or the quotations cited and summarized in the brief. That was because ChatGPT had invented everything. The lawyer who created the brief, Stephen A. Schwartz of the firm Levidow, Levidow and Oberman, threw himself on the mercy of the court on Thursday, saying in an affidavit that he had used the artificial intelligence program to do his legal research, a source that has revealed itself to be unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Schwartz, who has practiced law in New York for three decades, told Judge P. Kevin Castell that he had no intent to deceive the court or the airline. Mr. Schwartz said that he had never used ChatGPT and therefore was unaware of the possibility that its content could be false. <laughs> okay. He had told uh, Judge Castell, even the, uh, asked the uh, program to verify that the cases were real. So I'm going to ask the source of these to verify if everything is accurate. That's probably not a good thing didn't to do. Didn't work out well. <laughs> Excuse me. No, didn't work out well at all. Uh, Mr. Schwartz said he greatly regrets uh, relying on ChatGPT and will never do so in the future without absolute verification of, us, if, of its authenticity. Oh, oh, but he is going to use it to write his resume uh, on his application to become an airline <laughs> pilot. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, it'd probably work a little bit better because everything, <laughs> most everything on our applications are made up anyway. So, you know, what's the difference? No, That's true. Kidding. Yeah, very good. Uh, I can say that now that I'm in my last yeah, five like or six months. Yeah. I'd just like to know how much he billed his clients. Uh, yeah, Liz wants to know how much he billed the clients for all that research. Oh, um, yes. Now, good point. My, my uh, question would be, 
So let's say, is this any different than having like one of your clerks or assistants or interns or whatever do this research for you and then just completely trusting that everything that they're telling me and all these different cases and everything else is actually true? I mean, wouldn't you still kind of, if if your assistant or intern or whatever had given you a lineup of all these, wouldn't you think that as the lawyer representing the client in this trial, you would go and actually look these things up and maybe well, even I don't kind know, of educate yourself a little bit more? Well, I don't know, because your assistant would have actually been through law school and should know how to uh, you know provide you with the right information. So I'm yeah. going to say, no, uh, their legal assistants are probably trained to do exactly that kind of job. Yeah. I guess. So I guess he equated chat GPT with a, a very well-trained and educated, um, legal assistant. Uh, (laughs) And that was a a very, very big mistake. And obviously this person is learning quite a bit now about the limitations of artificial intelligence. uh, (laughs) Artificial. Yes. Very, very little intelligence. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. Wow. Well, that is, that was a doozy. You're right, Les. That is quite something there. Yeah. All right. Getting to know us. Uh, It is time now for getting to know us. That time of the show where we kind of get all caught up on what has been happening with the guests, not the guests, the hosts of the show. And uh, well, Nick, uh, you weren't with us last week. And we missed you, as we mentioned before. And uh, we're wondering if you're still busy with your lawn bowling. Is that something that's still going on for you? Uh, it most certainly is. Um, that wasn't the only reason that I wasn't able to pitch up, but that was the main reason. Uh-huh. I haven't been very well, to be truthful. And I'm not going to go into all the mucky details but um needless to say uh i've been a bit under the weather and uh, that's sadly not uh concluded yet but um hopefully things will be improving before too long um but yes last week uh, i was uh playing a bowls match and we had a very successful week last week i only played i played one two three four five matches only lost one so um wow that was what we're doing all right and this week equally busy uh playing a a league tomorrow and then singles on saturday a national competition double fours on sunday uh playing on monday tuesday uh, and then again on friday so not quite so busy but still a busy busy time it's uh it's one of those things all these competitions you put your name down for you don't expect to be in them uh, all for very long because they generally knock out competitions uh and you expect them to come down to manageable numbers and of course if you if you win <laughs> you've got you know still a lot to play in the next round and the next round and the next round and it becomes progressively harder so more likely to get knocked out so it won't be long before that workload eases but it has prevented me from um, doing any work towards a plain tail i've got a plain tail uh ready to um 
are researched, now ready to start writing. Um, and um, hopefully we'll have that ready for you next week. Yeah, whenever whenever you have the time to do it, this is fine with, with all of us. Oh, well, that's sure lovely. Thanks. Uh, now, the only thing happening uh, next week, uh, I was due to have surgery, but that's being cancelled now and delayed until the end of the month. But um, my father's lovely wife, um, Carol, who uh, was cabin crew uh, for many, many, many years, um, a senior cabin crew for a variety of airlines has come over from Australia and will be visiting with us for uh, a week. So that's also going to keep me a bit busy because we are going to obviously entertain her while she's here. And um, uh, But uh, other than that, my life is pretty good right now. Thanks. Excellent. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, all right. And I'm really looking forward to well, about a month from today, uh, or approximately, I guess, um, showing uh, showing up at your, well, not your doorstep uh, immediately. Hopefully, you'll come and pick me up from the airport so <laughs> yes. I don't have to walk all <laughs> the way. Right. We're not going to abandon you at the airport. Okay. Uh, excellent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming over to uh, England for uh, eventually the... Uh, uh, Grand Prix of uh, Great Britain. And uh, before then, we're going to have a meetup. And I don't know, we're going to talk about that on today's show. We're going to, yeah, wait why not? A, because okay. uh, we only talked about it sort of uh, one, uh, two weeks ago. And I've already had queries saying, do we know where we're going to be and what we're going to do and which day it is? But uh, Jeff had a marvelous idea uh, earlier today when we were um, discussing uh, exactly this subject. And um, Every, he and Liz noticed that he was going to be around for the 4th of July. Now, that date has uh, some minor significance in the United States. So, um, <laughs> it, <laughs> minor. <laughs> we, we, it, Jeff, for some reason, thought that might be an appropriate day to uh, for uh, him to invade the United Kingdom and meet all the um, UK and European uh visitors that can get together for a meetup so what better opportunity to to celebrate independence day uh in england <laughs> with all yeah. of my english friends yes and, that's uh, very good yes uh, <laughs> we thought so too um and actually it was uh liz's idea to uh, ah to there you go honest. traitor's yeah. day yeah traitor's uh, now day. Yeah. um we're so it's probably going to be the fourth of july uh, I've just got to produce uh, some uh, a, a poster of some kind, and I'll get it out on social media. Um, it'll start it'll start off in the afternoon at, at the uh, Royal Air Force Museum, and then I've been looking for a venue in London where we could go on to for the evening uh, mm -hmm. that does some kind of celebration of the 4th of July. Now, everything I've found so far is – it's kind of a, a restaurant or a pub that's, you know, oh, 25 quid, come join us nah. for these celebrations. Nah, nah, nah. And, yeah. uh, you know, it'll be a meal, et cetera. Nah. Um, and we don't want everyone to have to try and book a place. And No, I think we should still go with that original idea that you had that we'll just go move it somewhere pub. that's close by the uh, Royal Air Force Handed. Museum. And, and uh, you know, we'll just make our own little Absolutely. Or play. we could try and have it in a pub near the U.S. Embassy. I don't know. 
they, nah. I, I've they're probably going to all be gone. <laughs> well, minimize the it's a nightmare getting anywhere close to it. Uh, uh, so no, I don't travel. think we should do that either. I think what, let's just make it the path of least resistance. Exactly. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll so, find somewhere nice. We'll figure it out. Well, we'll yeah. just find somewhere. Uh, no yeah, guarantee it'll be nice because nice. I probably won't have ever been there before. So to yeah. guarantee it's nice. But we'll find somewhere to go to in the evening for a bite to eat and a beer. So if you're a working man and you can't get away to join us at the Air Fourth Force Club, July. then uh, you'll be able to join us at a pub in London. Yeah, I mean, everybody can celebrate the 4th of July because it's the 4th of July, just like July. anybody can uh, <laughs> celebrate the 4th of June, which is just coming up in a couple of days. Right. right? Well, I, yeah. I like the 4th of May. Actually. Oh, yeah, because may the fourth be with you. Exactly. Yes. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, good. I'm so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing uh, any and all of you uh, out there listening who happen to be uh, close to London and uh, would be great to meet you in person if you're able to swing it. And um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to the the Grand Prix and uh, well, the whole time. Yeah, staying at the Andersons' uh, beautiful house, and uh, you know, getting to see Nigel after the race, and and uh, that sort of thing up uh, closer to Silverstone. So Actually, anyway. I, I did get a message from uh, a lady listener uh, uh, who oh. said, um, "Why don't you also have a meet up uh, during the, uh, you know, one of the Grand Prix days?" Mm -hmm. um, we could do that. Up, yeah, up where. A bit further north, where cause, right, you know, saying why well, more convenient for people that live up that way. Exactly. So uh, I don't know about you, but I thought perhaps the practice day, which is Friday, uh -huh. might be the one where we have a bit more time to get away and uh, go to a pub nearby. What do you reckon? Oh, that'd be a great idea. And is this young lady? Did she send a picture? Is she single and and uh, cute? I can't show you the picture. I'm sorry. I, I'm a bit oh, worried you about your blood pressure. <laughs> no, actually, oh, in my usual way, uh, you know, there are usually five or six um, social media messaging apps that mm -hmm. uh, I receive stuff from, and I can't mm -hmm. remember which one it was, so I can't go back okay. and find it. I have Great. tried. But anyway, uh, I'm, well, I'm maybe sure she's we can. Right now. <laughs> sure, I hope so. Yeah. Yes. And we'll, we'll, uh, as soon as we figure out something, we'll try to get that information out there as well so that we can like have the, the best chance of, uh, you know, meeting my up with feeling is it would be nice to have it in the village, um, where Nigel mm -hmm. lives, uh, yeah. because I won't, I'll be able to have a beer as well because yes, since I'm driving within walking distance, yes, like that exactly. pub that, uh, that pub that we went to, uh, when I was out there last and we yeah. stayed over at yes. Nigel's place, that That's was a right. nice, easy walk. That would be Friday yep. the sixth, yeah. probably. Friday, it would probably yes. Yeah, Friday the sixth. Uh, no, I six. No, I think it's the seventh, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's Friday the seventh. Right. Yeah, the seventh. Friday the seventh, because that's the yep. first day yes, of the it is. Uh, Friday Grand Prix. the seventh. Yeah. So the fourth and the seventh, you should be sobered okay. up by then. Yeah, that's good. All right, very good. Um, yeah, so looking forward to this trip. Um, basically, the first oh, it's first be half grand. of July is going to be spent. Uh, Across the pond and with all my good Sounds friends great. over there. Very all right. Much. Um, what have you been up to, Jeffrey? What have I been up to? Well, of course, I'm, I'm doing my normal... I'm singing! Singing uh, <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> and you uh, get that from? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's the, uh, from the movie Elf. Uh, 
and uh, I, he's in the in the I, department store and uh, trying yeah, to explain yeah. how easy I, it is I, to sing. I remember it now. <laughs> and uh, so that was what I did over the weekend. And then on, uh, let me look at the, oh yeah, Memorial Day here on the 29th, um, did a quick little um, hop, skip, and a jump uh, between Atlanta and Huntsville, Alabama, and then back. And uh, then on Tuesday and Wednesday, I just did a quick little uh, one leg to Little Rock and then uh, overnight there and then one leg back the next morning, uh, which was yesterday morning. And um, so you, you were a one-legged pilot then? I am a one-legged pilot, yes. And uh, let's see. Um, and then, of course, today I didn't uh, pick up any flying, but I am flying tomorrow uh, and Saturday morning. So I'm uh, leaving tomorrow in the morning uh, early for uh, Dulles, Washington International, and then back to Atlanta, and then deadheading from Atlanta to um, Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport uh, outside of Bentonville and Rogers, Arkansas, Arkansas. Uh, if that uh, makes more sense to uh, Captain Nick. Certainly and, does. Uh, yeah, and then uh, an early flight uh, Saturday morning, and I'll be back in plenty of time, hopefully. We're singing. To, uh, to do some more singing. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Oh, I, I should start mentioning now. I was contacted uh, from uh, by this uh, very nice uh, gentleman uh, who uh, is part of Pilot Edge Marketing and Client Services, so pilotedge.com. Uh, and uh, they are the folks that uh, have been doing uh, for several years now Sim Venture. And this is Sim Venture 2023. It's uh, coming this July 13 through 16. Sim Venture 2023 will once again offer pilots an opportunity to prepare to fly into Air Venture the following week by practicing the actual notice procedures at home on their flight simulator, along with the actual Oshkosh air traffic controllers on the radio in their sim. That's cool. And uh, so he was saying that he greatly enjoyed working with the airline pilot guy show last year. And in return for us kind of um, publicizing and, and um, you know, putting out the word for this, and it, actually we had him on, last year and we kind of uh, went over all the details of what happens uh, during sim venture um but uh in return for that he uh they have a scenery uh, in microsoft flight simulator and in the scenery uh, are some logos of our show um you know, like a tent with the uh with the fly acme airlines logo on it so it's kind of fun and uh so uh if any of you out there have any questions uh, or ideas uh, for a sim venture, then uh, please let us know and we'll pass that on to Kevin Myers and the folks over at Pilot Edge. But um, yeah, we'll have a link in the show notes for you uh, to uh, go to their site and learn more about this. And I think I have this up still. Yes. Uh, PilotEdge.net and then uh, slash pages slash sim venture and again we'll have that link in the show notes so you can check it out and uh, get all prepped up for if you're that flying great, into, it? yeah into oshkosh i don't Jeff, think Jeff. i'm going to be, be making it to oshkosh this year because of the fact that i'm going to be spending the first half of july in england and i'm going to have to do a lot of flying i think in the last portion Pay of for the all month. Of that drinking <laughs> 
Yeah, to pay for all the drinking. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be able to buy a beer. I think it'll all oh, be bought for I don't you. know about that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll Does see. Nick want to talk about the cover art? I think he would want to talk about the cover art, Liz. Um, what do you think, Nick? Uh, the <laughs> last show, the one you weren't even on the show, but you I still wasn't. did the artwork for us. Yeah, tell was, us about I the Beantown bus like task. I was given yeah. the task of uh, producing something with the Beantown uh, bus Airbus driver, uh, our fine friend uh, Dana. So, uh, yeah, they, they <laughs> I managed to uh, find a picture, a suitable uh, bus driver style picture of Dana, mm -hmm. and uh, that looks perfect. Managed to dress him up in a <laughs> bus driver's outfit, put mm -hmm. him in Beantown. I even got a, a hat with bus written on it. I see that. Very nice. Actually, now, it only had US on it, which I thought was uh, perhaps a bit unfair to call Dana unserviceable. So I put the <laughs> B on it, so it said bus. Uh, and uh, I I mean, I love the fact that uh, people, I assume it's people from Boston get called Bean from Beantown. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's kind of a yeah, nickname of Boston. Beantown. I love it, yeah. Yeah. And I, I managed to fit the show number in. Did you spot it at all, Jeff? Well, the back of his head. Yeah, on the, on the, on the uh, well, first of all, before we go into that, I so obviously this is um, AI that helped come up with this interior of the bus. Yeah. But I'm going like, so is, is Dana like facing the right side of the bus? Because it looks like. Off to his left is what the front of the bus would be, and then behind yeah, him would the, look the like AI the left side. I of the don't think quite understands what a bus driver does. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping Obviously. you were going to gloss over that, but there you go. I I did actually ask um, the AI to produce it, uh, and I I looked at sort of twenty or so examples, and uh -huh. I reworded it uh, a bunch of times to try and. Yeah you know, get it looking a bit more realistic. But some of them, the the bus driver's wheel was really weird, you know, and other <laughs> ones, uh, you know, the bus bus driver looked really, really terrible. Anyway, he had mm -hmm. weird fingers. So this one's got weird fingers as well. <laughs> what? Weird fingers? Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. You no, know, it's, but, it's, uh, it's, you're right. It looks like he's driving sideways, doesn't he? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. But it's it still does. pretty cool. Uh, and I thought maybe it was like one of those ducks, uh, those like amphibious uh, bus uh, <laughs> yes. boat things that I they have there. I've been one of those. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And I thought, well, I guess I could, you could see, I could see that. But uh, uh, speaking of, uh, well, first uh, we'll cover the um, the, the show uh, number looks like a little placard uh, up on the mm -hmm. ceiling above. Uh, it does. Behind it Dana's actually hat. says, um, uh, it actually is like a notice that says passengers uh, are required to obey the driver at all times or something. And then mm -hmm. it's it's a little um, sort of serial number underneath is where the show number is. So that's behind uh, Dana's head there. Um because I, I was thinking about having Dana hold a baseball bat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. well, that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Speaking of bats uh, and oh, speaking yeah. of AI and uh, mid journey, um, the guy that I, that's a very, uh, is a big proponent of um, mid journey and uses it a lot, uh, Alex Lindsay in the uh, office hours uh, dot global, uh, this 
this thing that I like to watch. It's a daily thing, and they talk about audio, video, you know, like high-end stuff. And yeah. I learn a lot from them. And uh, he was saying that he did a quick uh, search for uh, or prompt or whatever you call it uh, for he he wanted to have um, a, a like a caveman's um, club, like you know the uh, a club like a baseball bat. See how I'm tying this all <laughs> like the Flintstones, yeah. And so he put in all these search terms and you know for club, and he gets back and he shows us what he got back was this like building that, that has you know, like a sign on it that says club. Yeah, goes, yeah, no, 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 club. not a club. So he, he goes, no, you know, like a, a club, like a, like a caveman Neanderthal club. And then it came back with this thing that looks like it came from the caveman era, but it still was a club and it still said club. On it. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like Fred Flintstone's um, yeah, like goes to after work. <laughs> yeah. With a bottle and uh... there's no big stick or, you know, bat <laughs> or anything. It's, it's just a place. Oh, it's a it. club. Uh, so yeah. AI has a long way to go, apparently. <laughs> but... Yeah, definitely. Uh, by the way, I, I do notice yeah. that um, uh, Adobe uh, Photoshop is going to get mm. uh, one of these functions built into it. Yeah, I fire seen or something. I think they're calling it fire, firefly fire or something. Yeah, Some, uh, yeah, maybe that's what they call it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah the nice thing um, about that is that uh, it's going to be it's going to be the same sort of thing, but it's going to uh, it's all going to be in layers, so you have a lot more control. Yeah, of, that that would be a lot better. Yeah, that would mm -hmm. be fantastic. So uh, if that comes off, uh, I'll switch. I think to Adobe. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Just don't go on Very that good. one that the lawyer used. Yeah, just don't use the one that the lawyer used, Liz's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or if you do, Love make it. sure you you know you back it up with you know make sure that's actually accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Coffee All right. time. It's coffee time, man. Coffee I time. love me a cup of coffee, Liz. So let's uh, let's let's find some music that might be mm -hmm. appropriate. Could we play? We could play maybe Jeff Smith. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Coffee, I love me. That hot black concoction. So good. <laughs> Liz apparently doesn't. Anyway, uh, so the Coffee Fund is your way to support our show. Many ways to support the show, but um, it's always helpful when people send us some money to help pay for all the costs of doing the show uh, every month. And of course, we have equipment costs and we also do meetups. And uh, no, it, it's, a, it's a great thing to do if you have the resources to do that. And a couple of different ways. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. Uh, which is uh, basically a PayPal donation set up mostly for like one or two off, you know, just every once in a while you want to give us some money, uh, which works out great. And we do have some recurring uh, contributors that uh, use that um, as well. However, if you're going to do a, a regular kind of a contribution, uh, it's probably best if you become a patron of the show at patreon.com. And um, yeah, Unfortunately, no new patrons this week. More people leaving than uh, than joining up. That's okay. We understand. And uh, so, if you want to find out more about the Coffee Fund, you can head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. 
And we will, too. Really. Let's do some feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right. Uh, just noticed that uh, AJ is in our is, live yep. audience, and I know that um, his feedback is in the lineup. In fact, how co coincidentally, uh, it turns out that uh, his feedback is where? Number, number four. four. Oh, number so four. The, okay. You said it was the next Vernon's one, but the first, first one is oh, Vernon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's do uh, number four from Alpha Juliet. Uh, Alpha Juliet goes to Grits Bravo. Okay. So before I start. What? Okay. Know, what's this Alpha Juliet? Yeah, it's the uh, weirdest uh, name I've ever heard. I know. So here, here's the deal. Um, we have we share a lot of the uh, same um, uh, audience that opposing bases. You know the best <laughs> aviation podcast in the universe. Um, yeah, and self, and self-promoted, and and uh, no, it's a very fine, it's a very fine show. Love those guys, and I love all their audience as well. Anyway, they have this thing where they don't use their real names, and uh, they say uh, they they use letters. Uh, uh oh, what's that? I heard. Yeah, dropped out for a second. No? You're okay. back. It's it's okay. It's just a little Skype. Okay. I have no idea why we're scrapping out like that today. Anyway, anyway, they have this thing where uh, I guess the air traffic controllers don't use their real names. They use their alphanumeric or I guess just alpha um, uh, letters to describe who they are. And of course, um, Alpha Juliet is who sent us uh, this feedback. And we like to call him AJ. AJ. Yeah. We, that's what we call him here is AJ. But, um, so, and, and what they do on opposing bases is they use very descriptive uh, ways of, de well, very descriptive ways of describing. That's dumb. They use very um, clever and creative ways to describe certain airspaces and airports and various things to keep it all anonymous. And so... That's Which why, I might point out, they frequently forget and give it a different name the next time. But Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's part of the creative process, I guess. So, no, I'm, uh, so I'm going gonna, gonna to read this straight uh, as uh, AJ. Hopefully, I'll, I'll, I'll do this um, right for you there, uh, AJ. So here we go. Here's his feedback. Hello, my name is Alpha Juliet. I'm an aviation addict. And then we all respond with, hello, Alpha Juliet. Okay. We okay. I guess we needed to have Hello, a rehearsal Alpha before we Juliet. started. This. Okay. No. Okay. All right. We're going to start over again. Hello. My name is Alpha Juliet. I'm an aviation addict. Hello, Hello Alpha, Alpha Juliet. Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing you today to tell you the story of my adventure traveling into the beating heart of the tremulous place known as Grits Bravo K A T L, also known as the Rectangular Bravo to its friends. Uh, by the way, I never refer to it that way at all. Um, my normal commute to work varies from 40 minutes to a mind-melting one and a half hour, one and a half plus hours, depending on how many denizens of our beloved metro area have run out of talent on the highways and byways of my intended travel. Late one recent Sunday evening, I had the epiphany that travel in a relatively straight line, similar to the African or European swallow, of course, dependent on useful load and required reserves, was possibly and probably far more temporally efficient 
even if not more financially effective than the routes available to the common motor car or automobile. I inquired of my most locally residing co-workers if they shared a similar understanding of the dynamics of traffic and whether they would like to accompany me on my optimistic attempt at a better way to arrive at our place of employment. Can I interject there for a second? Yes, yes. yes. A cow worker? Is that like a cowboy? No, a co-worker. It's not a cow worker. Oh, okay. Ah, right. Now I understand. Very much. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, fortunately for our endeavor, the workplace I previously referred to is immediately adjacent to an airport. Unfortunately, it is considered the largest airport in the 13th colony and arguably the busiest airport in the world. Something like an aircraft leaves the clutches of Mother Earth or returns to her pine needle bosom approximately every 36 seconds. Feel free to check my facts, but I am confident Wikipedia always publishes the truth. Yeah, you can count on that. (laughs) When uh, Monday morning, the day of the actual mission, reared its dull gray brow, we were weary but optimistic. I watched the weather progressing and paid close attention to the forecasts. Deciding everything meteorological was moving in our favor, not only for the commute to work, but also for our return trip that evening, we made the call to execute plan shortcut. We all met at my home base, Guntown, uh, K. Romeo Yankee Yankee, which is Cobb County International Airport, McCollum Field, and got loaded up. I called for our clearance. and after Well, I I should, uh, I I kind of interrupted that whole stream of thought there, and it sounded like they were getting like loaded up like high or something, but I don't think that's, uh, that's the proper way to, to, to do that. So let me start over this, this paragraph. We all met at my home base, Guntown, K. Romeo Yankee Yankee, and loaded up. I called for our clearance, and after confirming with clearance delivery that I was actually sure of my destination, a tiny bug smasher going to a big scary jet port, and I had filed direct, was rather surprised to be cleared as filed. After takeoff, we were vectored slightly to get us to the approach side of the airport, and once we were in the arrival stream, again, to my astonishment, were asked if we would like to slow down as there was a nice gap behind us. I had fully expected to be asked to pedal as fast as my heart could stand just to stay out of the way. Once we dipped below the broken layer, right as we crossed my obviously favorite fix in the NAS, the National Airspace System, AJ, that's the final approach fix for 26 right. We were cleared for the visual 26 right and switched to tower. Tower immediately cleared us to land, and there was never a real feeling of being the nerd at the dance or being in the way. All was handled very professionally with no drama and never feeling rushed. We landed without incident and were even complimented on how quickly we cleared the runway. Ground was equally help as helpful, offering the frequency for the FBO on the field. All in all, it was one of the best experiences I've had at a large airport. All that, plus turning a 40-plus minute commute into around 15 minutes, made it a win in my book. We had a late evening, and finally we were able to get back to Grits around 10 p.m. I considered traffic flow at an extremely large airport in my initial planning, but accidentally omitted the consideration of the massive night push by brown and purple box air carriers. We were warned to be very cautious of jet blast at least four times during our taxi, 
uh, from the John Hancock FBO, which is signature, uh, to two six left. It was slightly intimidating, lining up intimidating, lining up opposite a line of 757s and 767s in my little bug smasher with its lonely, spinny thing on the nose. We were it told must to line have been up like the, being in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the 757s and 767s? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's, that's so funny. Um, we were told uh, to line up and wait behind a CRJ. And given an almost immediately northbound turn, barely after our main gear released its touch with the planet, I could almost hear the departure controller saying, get out of my problem, get out of my problem. The rest of the flight was a non-event, concluding with one of my more graceful returns to the surface of this big blue marble. My question for your quorum is, do you change any of your procedures based on traffic around you? What are some best practices for the little guy in this scenario? And again, that's A.J. Schramm that sent us that uh, beautifully written, eloquently written um, narrative of his trip with his friends to the world's busiest airport. And uh, didn't he ATL. have a little, very yeah, he did short have little a video? video, Liz. So let me uh, quickly load that up. And uh, it's, it's very short as well. So um, uh, here we go. A.J.'s flight to ATL is what I titled it, entitled it. I think that guy in the left seat is AJ himself. Let's uh, slowly back it up. And there we go. Oh, he's got a muff. Fiddle, uh, well, I guess it's like a like a shoulder harness muff or something there. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be on your microphone, AJ. Um, Absolutely, he's, yeah. He's fiddling with some knobs and stuff, acting like he knows what he's doing. I did yeah, that same he's, thing, He's actually. just turning them for effect. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, so thanks for sending that in. And uh, so I guess we um, now address his, uh, his, his question. Uh, do you change any of your procedures based on traffic around you? I'm not sure. Yeah, I what... do. I used to turn off the TCAS and then speed up as fast as I could. Okay, we don't advise that you do that. Um, <laughs> this is coming from somebody that has not been flying for a couple of years. And forgets that uh, that's not allowed. I'm just just say what <laughs> I know we used to do. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, he's he's still with us, isn't he? In the uh, in the audience, Alpha Juliet. So, um, what? Clarify that a little bit more. Exactly. What are you asking? Uh, how? What? What procedures would we um, would we change um, based on traffic around us? Um, best practice for the, oh, I was going to ask you, uh, while you're, while you're typing away, um, how much was the fee for landing your little airplane at, uh, ATL? It must've been quite expensive, I would imagine, or, or maybe even the, the fee that you had to pay signature for their services. I, um, I see now he says, oh, okay. uh, to pay more attention when you're taxiing. You know, the great thing about the Airbus that I flew, we had uh, a big horn at the front. So we used to just taxi as fast as we could. And every time a little airplane got in the way, we'd sound this big horn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, very, that's a very nice thing to do. Um, 
So, um, AJ, I'm a little disappointed. That was so beautifully written. And uh, now you say uh, you used your Y-O-U-R instead of um, U-R, which is Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. And there, that's not right either. It should be T-H-E-R-E. So uh, here, I need to do this. Yeah, sorry. Perhaps you got AI to write it for him. Maybe, or maybe that's what happened. Maybe it's AI that's doing all the talking for him right now. Uh, $7? That was your landing fee? What? No way. That it couldn't have been that little. That's amazing. Wow. And the signature waived the ramp fee. Well, I got to put it up here so I can read it. Um, uh, since I bought gas that was actually cheaper than the gas at McCollum. Whoa. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, it's voice. Okay. I'll, I'll let that, I'll let it go this time, AJ. Did did you, did you put up Tim Van Ram's comment? Uh, Tim Van Ram. No, I did not put up his comment. I would expect that one might use the blinker more in traffic. Oh, that's a good, that's good advice, Tim. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Particularly since AJ's driving right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that was actually a. Well, I was going to say a cheap trip. Not really. I mean, I'm sure that uh, the fuel that you burn. Well, that was such a quick little 15-minute trip. That probably hardly cost you anything. That's amazing. Um, great. Yeah, and it was great um, kind of telling us that uh, that little adventure that you took. And I, I think that the controllers must have done a great job. Oops, sorry. A great job in uh, their traffic uh, flow management to say to you that you didn't even have to go as you know slow as fast down. as you possibly could that you could uh slow down because you had a big gap behind you that's that's pretty pretty amazing uh but fair dinkum on the horn um his voice of text managed to work out fair dinkum <laughs> i'm impressed <laughs> uh, threw in an odd capital there but there you go I, I'm I'm uh, embarrassed to say I don't really know what fair dinkum means. Oh, it's an Aussie term for um, that's good or yeah, good work. Yeah, kind of, oh, well okay. done. Or, gotcha. You know. At first, I thought it was some kind of a like a, a liter, literary work or something because no. there was a capitalized <laughs> F. And I think hmm, I don't think I read that one. Anyway, uh, yeah. So thanks, um, AJ, for um, Alpha Juliet. For sending in the uh, feedback, that that was uh, that was pretty interesting, and I'm kind of amazed that uh, it was so cheap and it worked out so well for you because it must yeah. be intimidating uh, to oh, yeah. fly into a huge airport. Uh, I mean, you know, we're used to it because this is what we do day in and day out, and I've done been doing it for more than 34 well, years. Well, I must admit, uh, I I found it pretty intimidating the first time I went into Atlanta. I mean, they mm-hmm. they took us around the field initially, and you looked down. And it's just massive, and there's runways everywhere. And mm. they insist on you uh, programming your nav computer with every single runway because they make you change it like at least 10 times uh, during the approach uh, as they switch from one, oh, yeah, every randomly time. from one runway to another just to mess you about. Uh-huh. Well, they did that especially for the foreigners. At like 60 yeah, miles definitely. An hour. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say, Liz? And then he saw Jeff taxiing at 60 miles oh, an hour. Oh, then he saw was... he, he saw this little uh, narrow body taxiing by at 60 miles per hour, probably uh, <laughs> with me at the controls. I'm like, what the heck? What's going yeah, on, on here? On two wheels around the corners. <laughs> 
All right, uh, back to Vernon. Okay, now. back to uh, Vernon's uh, feedback, uh, which is uh, three. Let's give a little background here on what happened. Okay, so a little background um, Liz is asking me to give. So Vernon sent this in uh, into us in February. And um, he said, uh, well, and he sent us a bunch of screenshots from, uh, yeah. from, was it, uh, was it Flight Radar 24? Yeah, Flight Radar 24. Yeah. And, and then, so let me read what he uh, put in here. I happened to check FlightAware tonight uh, and noticed a United flight returning to Denver. That was interesting to follow, but I really got in, it, but it really got interesting when it did a go around. After 43 minutes of flight, they landed. The plane held just off the runway for several minutes before taxiing to the gate. I don't know how to get to the ATC audio, but if you could find it, it might be interesting to hear. I attached screenshots of the flight path, flight info screen, and United's explanation about an engine problem and the need to supply another plane. Hope you find more info. Thanks and keep up the great work. Okay, so and then so we were going to research that, and I, I did actually look for some ATC audio, but I was unsuccessful. And then we kind of dropped the ball and didn't get back to Vernon. Kind of got lost in uh, the kind of, Yeah, I kind of got lost, uh, fell between the cracks, as they say. And uh, so he, he went ahead and, and uh, reached out to us again and asked if, you know, if we had gotten that feedback and if we had found out anything and all that kind of stuff. So I did, again, look for uh, some ATC audio at liveatc.net. And uh, every feed that was right around that time frame uh, said it was unavailable or not recorded or whatever, or somehow it just not available. So I did try, Vernon. Um, I do apologize for not being able to find that because I think you're right. I think that we would kind of, you know, a lot of these question marks that we have about this incident uh, probably would have been answered or filled in or we would have had a, a better idea of what happened here. But I'm going to do my best to kind of summarize what I think happened. It's this flight 2084 uh, was going from Denver to Fort Myers um, International, or what do they call it? No, Re- Southwest International. Regional Southwest. Southwest. Yeah, it used to be called Regional Southwest. Now it's actually Southwest Florida International. They're they're big time now. Oh, but isn't it RSW? I it is RSW still, but they, they, they didn't okay, change they the letters, it. but they renamed got the airport. It. Southwest. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, anyway. It's down there uh, just outside of Fort Myers. And uh so the i think they took off it's a 737 that's right isn't it 730 yeah, yeah. um 737 uh, they took off and looking at the flight path are you showing the uh yeah you're showing yeah. the flight path um shortly after they took off uh, they started you know heading toward the southeast and at some point and i can't tell exactly when but they obviously had some kind of an issue with one of their engines and so they uh, get vectored around by air traffic control, and they bring him back in for uh, a uh, landing attempt at, I believe it looks like about the same runway that they took off on. But based on the track and the readouts of the of the altitude and ground speed, it looks like, and also the path kind of a little bit wobbly coming in that first time uh, coming back to land. And I think that it was just a little bit too unstable. And I think that either air traffic control vectored them in too closely, or maybe it was visual conditions and they they did that to themselves. I'm not sure exactly who was to blame for the pretty tight um, uh, final leg. And obviously it wasn't 
satisfactory and they had to um, initiate a go around. Now, you know, go around with all of your engines running um, is relatively straightforward, but uh, when you are engine out, um, single engine approach and single engine go around can be quite a handful. So I'm sure the pucker factor was pretty high there. And uh, looking at some of the data on the uh, go around, it doesn't look like they had a, a really huge um, climb rate going on there. <laughs> and because uh, it's high altitude and uh, they were probably probably heavy uh, heading all the way down to Florida. So um, yeah, I'm sure they had their hands full and then they got vectored back around for a much longer final than they had almost twice as long as the one that they came in initially uh, for their um, successful approach and landing. And uh, let's see, from United, uh, United issued something to the passengers that said, uh, we're sorry for returning to Denver. Our maintenance team needs to service an engine on your plane to get you back on your way. We assigned you a flight. Uh, you, we assigned your flight a new airplane departing from gate B20. We appreciate your patience. So based on all the little clues that we have here, the track, uh, the performance of the, um, uh, the data and the message from United, that's, that's my best guess as to what happened here. What do you think, Captain Nick? I think, uh, if they, if they needed a service on the engine, they should have had it done before they left. <laughs> they probably should have served it. Yeah, they're, they're probably using different language yeah. than you would use. <laughs> just, I was just thinking, uh, if I if I read that as a passenger, I'd go, what? You brought me back to Denver because you need to service the engine. What, do you forget to put some oil in it or something? What's the matter with you? That's what it means to me. Yeah, exactly. Joe, I no, told I you think to put, you, I, I put, you, put oil on the engine. Yeah. Why didn't you do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Jeff. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. I, I, single engine um, go around is not going to be particularly comfortable, although we used to practice it every time we did a handling check of the simulator. You know, we'd uh, do take off into an engine failure and you come back round and the next approach was uh, going to be an ILS and uh, you knew you were going to get bolt or whatever reason you'd have to do a go around and then the next approach would be a, a non-precision approach to land or whatever. So uh, we, we're pretty um, comfortable with doing that. It's, it's a pretty regular training uh, requirement. So no big deal, but uh, you know, with only one engine, uh, it, it concentrates the mind. Yep. All right. Well, uh, again, Vernon, sorry we weren't able to find all the all the audio and stuff that uh, went along with this. Usually, I'm pretty successful in finding stuff, but uh, failed in this attempt. Failed um, miserably. I did. Sorry, let everybody down. Um, <laughs> no, so let's go. To, let's go to number ten um, from Vernon. Uh, uh, again, uh, he sent this in much more recently, and we're uh, addressing it much more quickly than we did his last um, his last installment. Um, greetings, APG crew. Just watched a revealing documentary on PBS called Hindenburg's Fatal Flaws about the 10 decisions that led up to the 1937 explosion of the German passenger airship. The program is part of the PBS Secrets of the Dead series and probably available on the PBS streaming service called Passport. 
Um, Captain Nick, it would make for a great Plain Tales episode if you haven't done so. Keep the hydrogen part intact. Your loyal but Absolutely. addicted APGer Vernon Tryon. I've never heard of this Hindenburg thing. Is that something? What, what was that all about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it, uh, it was <laughs> happened in it happened in New York, I think, wasn't it? New Jersey, actually. New Lakers, Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. That's Is that's that one of my uh, same... things that are on my bucket list. That's one of the places I'm going to be exploring in the. Uh, in the RV, in the in the APG Mobile Studio, um, because every ah, time excellent. I fly yeah. over, you know, like I'm on an extended final for Newark if they're landing to the north, or uh, sometimes extended flow of traffic into LaGuardia, and, and sometimes even Kennedy, but mostly LaGuardia and uh, and uh, Newark. Um, and if it's clear and you can see down below, uh, you see these huge hangars, these big uh, blimp hangars or dirigible hangars. And uh, that's Lakehurst, and uh, I just want to visit that and see, you know, the 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 monument uh, and the memorial to the uh, Hindenburg uh, disaster. And uh, I actually, this is funny, not funny, but um, interesting that Vernon sent this in and mentions this documentary. But uh, on a trip last week, early in the morning, um, you know, I usually turn the TV on to have something going on in the background while I make my l- so delicious, uh, hotel coffee. And, uh, it just happened. Uh, I was just going through the channels and I see them talking about the Hindenburg and I go, what's this? And sure enough, it was this documentary on PBS. I didn't realize it, that it had been something that they just released. Okay. So what were the 10 decisions? <laughs> I don't remember all. The, I only watched it for a few minutes, Nick, and it was like an hour-long program. Well, at least, I, I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I can get access to PBS over here. Oh, uh, we'll I mean, see I'm, what. I'll see if I can give you uh, some kind of a, anyway, a the, link or whatever. The, the point is, I've already done the Hindenburg. <laughs> oh, have you? So I don't really want to have any new reasons that I didn't go. Oh no! Oh, that's um, right, you did. And but I, uh, there was. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I know we're. Our I was going to say there, there were a number of uh, theories, but no one has really been able to come up with a definitive cause. It's pretty obvious because uh, there, there were all sorts of um, rumors that it was uh, sabotage, that there was a bomb on board, that etc. But they they had leaking hydrogen bags. Possibly the material on the outside of the. Hindenburg was made with uh, material covered in aluminium dust, and that might have uh, ign- itself might have caused the ignition of the hydrogen, etc. Um, so, but quite honestly, you know, the, these things get regurgitated, and uh, no one will be know for sure exactly what the cause was. One of the things that I never heard before uh, until I saw a little bit of this documentary was. Um, the skin of the um, the uh, of the of the blimp, the, the, the Hindenburg, um, was uh, fluttering, and um, they, I guess, never encountered that with smaller, you know, versions of these things. And but this thing was, you know, like the biggest that they had made, I think, at the time, and um, that was one of those things that they thought could have been a contributed contributory factor in you know, some of the issues with it, but of the flutter. And they actually put two more coats of this, this coating that you were talking about on top, which added a bunch of weight and they thought would knock out the flutter. 
of the skin, but apparently it didn't mm. really do anything except make it heavier um, and maybe make it yeah. even more um, uh, susceptible to static discharge and lightning strikes and everything else. Who knows? Interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, the outer skin was only really uh, for weatherproofing. The hydrogen was kept in internal uh, chambers. Uh, so, um, you know, that was really just to give it a protection and protect the internal uh, mm -hmm. organs of the... Uh, I was listen. <laughs> I was reading on Twitter uh, someone's comment that uh, if it hadn't been for this disaster, and this was not related to this particular program, but just a, uh, a comment about the Hindenburg disaster. Uh, if it hadn't been for the Hindenburg disaster, airships would still be, you know, would have carried on for decades, flying backwards and forwards and carrying cargo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But to be brutally honest they were a pretty impractical form of travel mm. because uh, any um wind uh, over a certain limit and they they weren't going to make any progress they might even end up going backwards uh they were dreadfully difficult to handle you they they were enormous pieces of machinery so how you would have an, an airport with lots of these things Absolutely, I know. No idea. And I, I think that in this case, they talked about the ground um, staff uh, that needed to be there to bring this thing in for landing was like near to three hundred people. That's kind of impractical. absolutely because they all just hung on to ropes and <laughs> yeah. tried to nudge this thing into uh, uh, a, a restraint master. that held it on the nose, didn't it? Yeah. And then, of course, it was supposed to uh, sort of uh, line itself with the wind. Uh, so that as the if the wind changed direction, the whole airship would swing around, mm -hmm. which meant that you couldn't park it within a huge circle. It had to be able to rotate around in a huge circle. So you couldn't put one any another one anywhere near it. So the idea that you're going to have dozens of these things flying yeah. in and out and around very impractical, very impractical. So yet I they still persevere with that funny one in the yeah, UK that looks like bomb. someone's bottom. Yeah. So I'm thinking, let me think about this. I th I'm thinking is right around uh, our episode 277, there was uh, a plain tale called A Load of Hot Air. Yeah, APG <laughs> that, Was that the one? That was my, uh, I have such a, a, a steel trap of a mind. Amazing, Jeff. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah, thanks, Liz. You, you and Liz have a steel trap of a mind. <laughs> Yeah, Liz gave me that information. I got a good Excel spreadsheet. Oh, she has a great Excel uh, Excel spreadsheet uh, that she can search. Anyway, uh, so we'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. And we're going to go ahead and end part one uh, with some feedback from Larry. And uh, Larry uh, sent us uh, nothing but an image. And we're going to look at that right now. And this looks like a, a panel that is not supposed to be uh distributed to the public uh oh yes the, that's the secret panel yeah it's the co-pilot eject um arming and uh execution button or switch i guess and uh, we have the chemtrail <laughs> switch execute the first officer you know well i mean if you use this co-pilot eject <laughs> it basically is an execution nick wouldn't you say you know <laughs> you're supposed to be able to survive it i believe oh, okay well, uh, there's also the chemtrail uh, switch, the uh, turbulence generator switch, 
and all this right above the uh, attendant call and ground call uh, buttons in the uh, what I would imagine yes, it's is very the easy to get panel. those wrong and end up ejecting the co-pilot. Yeah. Oh, it's just calling for a cup of coffee. Bang. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> and you know what? Obviously, they don't think it's that important of a of a switch that co-pilot ejects it switch because it's not. It's they didn't make it a red a red guarded. No, switch. I noticed that. There's a, there's a red switch next door. This one's black and discreet <laughs> and quiet. Like oh well, you know, it's no big deal. It like 007 Shrug. gear Shrug. stick mm-hmm. ejector button. <laughs> okay. Very funny. Thank you, uh, Larry. He didn't send any any uh, words no, to go none. along with that, just a none. link to that picture. So thank you, Larry. We do appreciate it. One of these days, I'm going to get back to Tulsa and meet up with all my great friends there and listeners of the show. Um, uh, and you're only well, 24 hours from Tulsa. Um, is that a is that a movie a song. title or song, song or something? Okay. Song. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Country and Western. Um, yeah. Airlander 10 was is the funny airship flying in the UK that looks like bottom. a bottom. Yes, it really does. Yeah. All right. That's going to end uh, part one. And uh, hopefully you'll hang around, especially those of you listening to the audio podcast. I mean, you have no choice but to hang around for part two, which will be here before you know it. From her lakeside studio in South It's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's me. Me. Dr. Steph. <laughs> hey, Dr. Steph. Hey, Thanks. Captain Jeff. Wow, you can do that Hello. a lot better than I can. Yeah, I've listened to it a lot <laughs> over the years, so yes, hopefully have. I've remembered it. Excellent. Nice job. Appreciate thank that. You, thank you. Okay, so Camacho, you're going to do the same thing or you want me to do yours? Okay, I can do it. All right, here we go. From his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, AMP mechanic, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, I'm Nick Camacho. Hey, Nick. Yay. Welcome aboard. Part two. All right. So we've already had um, part one, and it was great uh, with uh, Captain Nick. And uh, now we're going to round it off with... uh, the expertise from Dr. Steph and Nick Camacho. And we're going to resume talking about some feedback. And we're going to start with this from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Uh, The Federal Aviation Administration has issued a new airworthiness directive for certain models of the Boeing 737 after it received reports that the emergency escape slide had been known to accidentally and unexpectedly inflate inside the passenger cabin. I hate when that happens. It's embarrassing, really. Uh, airlines embarrassing. <laughs> were made, first made aware of the danger in August 2021 after Boeing sent out a special attention bulletin to affected operators, including American Airlines, Southwest Airlines, and Singapore Airlines. Although the directive won't officially come into, a, come into force until June 29, 2023, the FAA described the problem as uncommanded escape slide deployments in the passenger compartment, which were caused by too much tension in the inflation cable and the movement of the escape slide assembly in the escape slide compartment. Affected aircraft operators will be required to inspect all escape slide assemblies to identify if if it has an affected part and, if identified, replace the entire assembly assembly at a cost of $19,000 per slide. Yikes. 
the slides are door mounted inside the cabin and in the event of an evacuation are designed to drop outside and attach to the seal of the doorway. And if Nick were here, he'd go, er, 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 er. Well, that's seal sound. Um, <laughs> if, I'm kind of missing that. Uh, if deployed. I'm in, sorry, I, I missed the cue there. Okay, my apologies. All right, start, uh, we'll start from the top. Uh-huh. Uh, the slides are door mounted inside the cabin and in the event of an evacuation are designed to drop outside and attach to the seal of the doorway. All right. There's the seal. There's one of those seals right there. Uh, if to, okay. If deployed inside the passenger cabin, the flies have the potential to cause serious injury and damage. The FAA said it had taken uh, the decision to issue the airworthiness directive to address the unsafe condition on these products. Uh, let's see. The FAA's uh, that's enough. Okay. Interesting. Interesting to me that the airline has to replace the slide, and right. not the manufacturer who has a defective product. I was going to make the same point, Steph. Like, yeah. huh? why, why wouldn't it? I mean, like if my car has a defective product, usually there's a recall on it and mm-hmm. you take it back to the dealership and they are supposed to address the, yeah. the defect. They're supposed to. Supposed to. Yeah. So uh, it's actually not that uncommon for uh, airworthiness directives to be... Um, the burden of cost to be on the operator, yeah. Oh. At least in general aviation, and that's part of the process when they will mm. go through the rulemaking process. You know, they will uh, look at again for GA stuff. I'm not quite sure yeah. how much different airlines are, but you know, they'll look at the cost um, burden that it'll put on the operators. Not that that drives a decision from the FAA necessarily, but you know, a lot of times it's not necessarily replacement, but it's an inspection. That will require opening things up. And so they might say, like, you know, this AD will affect 5,000 airplanes. It's an inspection that will cost $900. So the overall, you know, fleet financial. And there's some there's some airworthiness directives that are kind of recurring things that you have to do at certain yeah. inspection time points. This one seems almost more like there was a specific defect. that I'm surprised it's just an airworthiness directive and not. But I guess recalls aren't really a thing in the yeah. airline world. So. Well, and and it yeah. says affected operators will be required to do all this. I would imagine. Um, I mean, it doesn't say what model of the seven thirty seven. I don't think it just says seven hundred. Right? Oh, seven hundred. Uh, eight hundred. Because American I, Airlines has eight hundred. Southwest has eight hundred. I don't know about Singapore. I would Airlines. suspect that eight hundreds. Yeah, I would um, suspect that there's probably a max. relationship still in place yeah. between the maker of the slide. And American, and with as many airplanes as American owns, I would think that American's not just paying nineteen thousand dollars. Sure, right? They're going sure. back to the slide person and being like, "You need, you need to fix this." Or, or potentially, I guess the Max because they both have Max. Yeah. Aircraft. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, very interesting. Um, let's move on to the next item, and this is item F from. Uh, well, this makes me so proud to live in the south well yes uh this is uh <laughs> this is from somewhere and it's a tweet uh from twitter i guess then saturday may 20th in atmore alabama <laughs> my airplane was shot while spraying uh, he's a, a crop duster uh this incident happened between the hours of 6 30 a.m and 1 30 p.m to the person who did this or to anyone who thinks it's appropriate, please take into consideration that I have a family at home that I want to come home to. 
I'm an individual whose job just so happens to be applying chemicals at low levels with an airplane. As ag pilots, we take our jobs very seriously. We take precautions in every field and every pass to ensure the safety of people around the fields as well as ourselves. With that being said, we do our absolute best to take care of our local farmers and farmers across the country. If you have any information that could be helpful, please contact Tammy Smith, Gentry Smith, or myself. And this is Marcus Crutchfield. Thank you, he said. And there are some photos uh, that we're showing of the uh, fuselage of the, um, what is this, like an, an ag cat? Air tractor. Air tractor. Or egg, egg cat. I forget. Yeah, I think you're right. Which, I think but... you're. I think it's an air tractor. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, nice bullet holes. That's pretty big gauge too. It looks like to me. Oh yeah, that's like a, that's a. I don't even know what that is. W. D. Hurley says he should have read the NOTAM for bullets in the vicinity. Ah, <laughs> yeah. very good point. Yeah. Greatest threat today is uh, being shot at. <laughs> um, so, the uh, the one on the right side, the middle one on the right. I think it's like the hole, and then. I think maybe the, the like, it's like an entry, entry and exit. And exit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it looks like entry and exit, which if it went through and through and didn't hit anything important, that's kind of impressive, too. That is impressive. Mm. Although, you know, uh, you mentioned the uh, NOTAM about the uh, uh, the the uh, bullets in the vicinity. vicinity. You have to remember that. That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy to overlook. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure there were also many cranes and birds and oh yeah i'm sure yeah. that's pretty Easy. sad incident though pretty yeah, sad i guess somebody just did they not understand what this crop duster was doing out there or did they think that maybe the crop duster was just you know, trying to harass them or something probably there's all kinds of let's just say people out there Yeehaw! yeah and i don't know how much you all have had the chance to see how crop dusters fly and uh, apply chemicals um, you know, he cool. talks about applying chemicals at, low, <laughs> chemicals at low levels. It's pretty awesome flying. Yeah. It's also very dangerous flying in and of itself. Um, I've actually listened to another podcast. I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head. Maybe 121.5. Um, anyway, they interviewed a, an ag pilot, and it just seems like all of these guys catch power lines eventually, you know, because they're right down low, right above the field, and then they're doing these high-performance maneuvers to basically turn back around and stay on their grid to continue applying and spraying the fields that they're supposed to be spraying, not spraying people's adjacent homes, areas they're not supposed to be applying chemical to. There's actually a lot of knowledge that goes into this in terms of what the chemicals are that they're applying, the hazards that go along with them, um, and then the flying itself is super demanding. Um, But it's impressive if you've ever seen it, Um, you know, be driving along the highway and all of a sudden this airplane will just pitch up right in front of you and then kind of hook a almost like a hammerhead maneuver and back down onto the the field and um you know if you're a neighbor who doesn't care for airplanes that um i can see where that might be cause a little bit of friction yeah i suppose also it just seems like people in the general public don't either actually don't care it's hard for me to believe that that many people don't care but don't have a good understanding for the implications of safety with airplanes. And I, like I say that even just yeah. like thinking about the amount of laser incidents and yep. you think about yep. all the laser incidents and it, I just can't imagine that that many people, uh, I don't know, hate airplanes. I, I, they must just not have a good grasp of the implications. <laughs> I, I will myself. have a, a uh, 
corollary story to that in uh, getting to know us, if that oh, comes no. up here in a moment. I can't wait. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're going to be there very, very shortly. Sure, sure. Okay, let's move on then uh, to... Patrick, you might want to get uh, Nick to read this one. He sent it in. This oh, is okay. Uh, good idea, Liz. Uh, Liz is suggesting that since you're the one that uh, sent this in for us, that you should read it. So, item I. Okay. Uh, this is from... Uh, was that my dog? That was your dog. That is not my dog. This is, okay, this is from there your dog. There are no dogs this currently from your in my dog. house. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your that. dog is very smart. Uh, this is from Flying Magazine. Uh, this article is called uh, Why Jedit Failed. Uh, it says, Jedit sent a letter to employees saying everyone is terminated and the company is shutting down. Uh, May 26, 2023. So that was uh, about a week ago or so. Uh, buying a fractional share of an airplane is supposed to make personal aviation effortless, but for Jedit clients, it has become a nightmare. On May, on Monday, May 22nd, Jedit fractional owners were told that their airplanes were being grounded because of safety concerns about the Honda Jet. At the time of the grounding, Jedit claims that it was taking the action out of an abundance of caution in light of an incident with a Honda Jet. The airplane ran off the end of a runway in South Carolina. Jedit CEO Glenn Gonzalez told owners that he was concerned about the safety of the aircraft and wanted to understand the reason that Honda jets were more susceptible to runway excursions than similar aircraft. The problem is that safety issue is that the safety issue doesn't appear to be the cause of Jedit's sudden service disruption, but cash does. Coming from a large coming from the largest operator of Honda jets in the US, it was a shocking statement. The problem was that Jedit also grounded its other aircraft in the fleet, not just the Honda jets, leaving many owners questioning whether this was a negotiating tactic to allow the company to exercise the force majeure clause in the fractional contracts, enabling the company to cancel the programs and agreements altogether. After all, if Jedit could stand behind the story that Honda Jet was an unsafe aircraft, it would shield the company from liabilities stemming from potential owner lawsuits and damages caused by an abrupt shutdown and service disruption. The problem is the safety issue doesn't appear to be the cause of Jedit's sudden service disruption, but cash does, which was also a sentence a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, um, I guess you, um, we could kind of summarize the, the rest of it. Apparently, a lot of the airplanes in their fleet have been like almost half of the jets mm-hmm. out there or, or not available. Been grounded. Yeah, yep, been grounded because maintenance, mm-hmm. maintenance or because failure of Jetit to pay payment for right. the maintenance and other services. Um, I thought it was interesting, and you guys probably read this as well. I'm sure you did, um, Nick, since you're the one that sent it to us. But the uh, one of the things that they were priding themselves on was the fact that they were so low cost compared to uh, competitive, competing fractional uh, jet companies, and they were offering rates of just sixteen hundred dollars per hour. And their next, their That's biggest super competitor, cheap. yeah, their biggest competitor, Velado, is um, also flies Honda jets, three thousand four hundred and fifty. So they were yeah. charging less than half. The uh, reason right. our rates are so low is because we don't pay for our airplanes or their maintenance. Ah, right. Okay. Well. <laughs> But you can only go so far with that, right? Yes, Before yes. people say, okay, well, you're not going to get your jet back. Yeah. Well, yep. And then you go further down, right? And it says, jet its contracts also do not require the fractional owner to pay for deadhead to reposition the jet. Owners only paid for the time they were in the aircraft. And that, like, that was mind-blowing to me because the cost to move these airplanes is 
really significant. I mean, it's the same cost as basically taking people in it from place to place. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not, it's not substantially different. Yeah. yeah, It's essentially the exact same cost, right? Like I, I don't know. They might like have a flight attendant on passenger flights versus not on a deadhead flight. But other than that, it's all going to be the same cost. And then, um, man, I just, I, it's just such a red flag. I, I don't understand were, their that they their were half model. the price of the of their competition. The um, problem is though, if you've signed up for this, now you're stuck as uh, the way I understand it, right? You're stuck as one of these fractional owners mm-hmm. on the hook for yeah. outstanding costs. Yeah, and so it it would be one thing, right? If you had, um, I don't know, I think of like subscription services, and sometimes subscription services go out of business. And you don't get to like utilize, uh, say, like oh. you sign up for a subscription service for a year, and something mm-hmm. goes out of business after like six or nine months, and you're like, "Oh man, I I lost three months of whatever know, the product, whatever is. whatever I was supposed to get." But in in this instance, you actually have to uh, pay these, for it. Yeah, and, and you don't get to use it. And you got to think about the fact that like these people, the majority of them are probably not aviation people at all. They have no idea what it takes to. Uh, house or store an airplane, how to move it around, like, and that's, and that's the whole probably just based on the price point. Their cash flow is a little bit different than most than than your average fractional owner. Right. So those are going to be very large bills for these customers. Right. I mean, if if I owned a fractional jet, and the company said, "Oh, hey, guess what? Your jet's on the ground in Atlanta, and we're going out of business, so you've got to deal with it yourself." I, I feel like I know a fair amount about airplanes and I don't even know how I would like get the airplane moved back to wherever I would want it. And I don't know where I would want it, you know, or how it, I would know, how I would know people to it. ask, but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of these people are just not airplane people. They just, it's a service they pay for, right? They like mm-hmm. calling someone and saying, Hey, the airplane needs to be ready to go tomorrow at eight mm-hmm. and move it. So it's, uh, Yeah. I don't know how this is going to work out. I said a source familiar with JetEt's revenue model suggested that the operating cost per hour for owners, including deadhead time, was likely around $2,700 per hour. Not $1,600. No. So every flight, basically, or every hour they're operating, they're losing they're losing money. Yeah. $900 to $1,000, yeah. basically. I just don't understand or why they thought, to what they thought yeah. was going to happen $1,100. To- turn this whole thing around. I mean, if anything, you need need to be charging more than the actual operating cost because then you need to include maintenance. You need to include other, Yeah, there's just a lot of other associated fees in aviation, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Sad story. You know, uh, when they, when I saw the headline about jet, I I thought of that story that we had, I know it was earlier this year, I believe where uh, some jet at, flight was taking off out of phoenix and they were like turning the complete wrong direction yeah. and they were, like didn't even yeah, right. understand what they were doing because <laughs> that yeah. was the first time i'd heard of jet it and went jet it and went, what's that what what yeah. call sign is that uh, and it doesn't i'm not saying it had anything to, at all to do with the pilots uh, no but uh yeah <laughs> that's, and, yeah and i guess it's important to just kind of like outline this is a fractional operation right so there are different ways you can operate airplanes in our airspace system and the airlines are highly regulated. And then there's like one tier below the airlines, which is like non-scheduled for hire, which is called part 135. 
And then this is the tier below it. These airplanes essentially operate part 91, which means not for hire. And the reason they can do that is because they're owner, they're fractional ownership. So mm -hmm. they're technically flying around the owner of the airplane. Uh. Mm -hmm. So even though you have a commercial pilot because the pilot's being paid to fly the airplane, the airplane operates under part 91 rules. It doesn't operate under part 135 rules. I do think some fractionals operate under 135 rules. So if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah. And, and yeah. a lot of them will have, a lot of them do. A lot of them will have like, uh, operational limitations and stuff you know similar to a an airline uh, and yeah an airline or a part 135 it just mm -hmm. um it gives them a little more flexibility as a fractional operation because the owner the owner is in the airplane versus just a person who showed up and bought a ticket essentially mm -hmm. you know the last line of this article is uh is just good advice. If it seems like the deal is too good to be true, it's probably too good to be <laughs> That's true. Always good. Just advice. remember that travel, especially air travel, costs money. Mm -hmm. it's, it takes a lot of money to burn those dead dinosaurs to get you in the air. Yeah. In a big aluminum tube. And you got to go think, okay, to well, B. the person that, that's like going to the hospital that's like a super discount hospital <laughs> because you're thinking, well, well, how, why is it so much less than, does it have something to do with the doctors and nurses and the people that are actually going to be operating on me? Maybe they're not, yeah, I'm not saying. If it seems too good to be true, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you might want to take a yeah. good, hard look at think it. Think about it. That's all. Yeah. That's all. All right. Well, get to know us part two right now. Here we go. Okay, the getting to know us is that time of the show. Well, you already know because we just did one earlier uh, where we get to know each other and what we've been doing between shows. And I don't, you can find it out between the two of you who wants to go first. I don't even know the last time I was on the show, so I'll just tell you what I did last week. Okay. Because I... Can you remember don't know what, what else I've talked about? And <laughs> I probably don't remember. It's, it's been, we were talking about this before the show started, but you know, I think Nick Camacho and I are in similar situations in our lives in the moment where it just is like busy all the time. And it's hard to keep track of everything that happens when it happened, mm -hmm. who it's happened to, if I was actually involved or it was just something peripheral of my something life. I'm not really sure. Mine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's how it's been. So, um, this past weekend was actually um, was actually a great weekend. Um, so Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. Um, so a long holiday weekend. Um, I actually had planned to do the um, this particular event for the past year or so. I got a call. Um, gosh, I don't even remember when from a friend that I've known since my private pilot training days from uh, Eastern North Carolina who now operates uh, uh, his own drop zone out on the coast in Eastern North Carolina. And they were looking to put together an event where they had a couple of different camps come together. Um, and they are a, typically a very small drop zone operating Cessna 182 or 206. Like we need a caravan. So he's like, Hey, how, how can we arrange this? So kind of helped him put all that together. And we've been planning this for a long time coming up on the, the days of the event. And we're looking at the forecast and if you were in like the Southeast, well, especially North and South Carolina this past weekend, the weather was terrible, unfortunately. Um, I actually have a screenshot of what the satellite imagery looked like, and it looks like a tropical storm or a hurricane parked over North and South Carolina. It was 
not a tropical system. It just had that appearance and it kind of behaved like one, you know, very strong, low pressure system, a lot of rotation to everything. And it just kind of parked there, um, which is a little bit of a bummer when you're trying to do outdoor activities, things in the sky, flying that requires visual meteorological conditions. Um, actually, you know what? Table that. Let me back up even further a little bit because I was off work all last week. Um, so from Friday night, not this past Friday, but the Friday before through Monday of this week. And you guys probably talked about it. Anyone who listens to Plain Talking UK knows that um, Carlos was in town in Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, let me start with with that. And um, Armando from their show lives on the other side of Charlotte from me. So, um Carlos came here. He spent a couple of days with Armando doing some really cool flying um, in the Super Cub up to uh, a fly-in on a grass strip. I'm sure they talked all about that on Plane Talking UK. Please go watch that. Um, and then he came down and spent some time with me on Monday of last week. So not the holiday Monday, but the Monday before. Was there something special about that day there for you? There was. Well, no, not for me. The Monday? Oh. Monday? No. No, that was... What day was your birthday? It was Wednesday. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're getting getting ahead of ourselves. Sorry, here. sorry. That's all right. I got ahead of myself, but I'm okay. backing up and trying to tell us in somewhat logical order. Okay. Um, but we had talked about for a long time getting him um, out to my drop zone to do a tandem skydive, and he was able to do that on Monday, not this past this week, but the week before. Um, there's some really cool video out there of it. He had a great time. The weather was perfect, cooperated for it. Um, and then I released him back to Armando for custody uh, for the rest of the week, <laughs> basically. Um, no, I had, I, uh, they were at my place on Monday. We spent some time in the water, in the lake. Um, I saw them on Wednesday as well for, uh, for my birthday. And we did uh, uh, kind of a uh, get together lunch, uh, max speed shop, not the one that we've been to before, but a different location closer to Armando. So, okay. Um, so I'm sorry. I was, I was confused. Cause when I saw mm -hmm. the picture of y'all at the lake, I thought that that was on your birthday, but it was, uh, yeah. it was not. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So my birthday was Wednesday. Um, not an exciting like year or anything. There's nothing interesting about 41. I don't think so. We'll just, Gloss right on over that. <laughs> and birthdays that end in zeros and fives. We can we can celebrate those a little bit more. These other ones are just like placeholders. Um, it was still a good day, though, because after I had lunch with them, I actually um, did fly out to eastern North Carolina to the beach um, to get out there ahead of the weather um, in the chance that we were able to fly and the weather would clear up for us. I wanted to have the airplane there. Um, so got there and then... Um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday were a complete wash in terms of the weather. It was very rainy, very windy, not super warm, not cold, cold, but, you know, Saturday there were like 40 mile an hour wind gusts on the beach. It was not pleasant. Um, but everyone that was participating in the camp ended up getting there at least by Saturday midday. Um, so we all spent some time together and hung out and um, the the skydiving camps that were ha happening put on some seminars. I sat in on those and actually learned a whole lot. So it was really interesting for me. Um, and then the weather actually did 
improved significantly out of the coast on Sunday and Monday, and we were able to get uh, some flying done. So uh, flew those guys on Sunday and Mon- Monday, and then flew home Monday evening. Uh, but it's beautiful out there. I mean, the airport is literally right on the on the beach, basically, or like a stone's throw from the beach. So as soon as you take off, you're just looking at the coast, and it's called uh, the Crystal Coast of North Carolina because the water is very blue-green as opposed to some other places in the Atlantic, um, especially along the you know eastern seaboard. Uh, a lot of the water is very shallow in and around some of those inlets. Um, apparently, there's a lot of oyster beds in there. Um, I had an oyster burrito, which was delicious. Wow. I uh, didn't know that was a thing, but it was great. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a nice week. Um, I wish we had been able to do some more flying because it was supposed to be five days worth of events, but we kind of crammed it all into two. Um, and now I'm just back to work and back to the grind. <laughs> and you love it. I love it so much. You forgot that part. Yeah, I do love it. <laughs> kind of, sort of, I think. Yes. Well, you know, sometimes even flying is, I mean, we love flying, but sometimes it's kind of a grind too. Well, I mean, especially when it's your job, right? Mm -hmm. Like work is always work. Yeah. Work, 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 work. Yeah. Contracts. Work, work, work. What's Camacho Man doing? (laughs) Time off. What'd you say, Liz? What's Camacho Man been doing? Oh, what's, uh, that's a good question. What's Camacho Man been up Mm -hmm. to? Uh, so I've still been working um, a lot, getting ready for a uh, test event at work that's coming up here pretty soon. So that's keeping me pretty busy. And then uh, also, I think I mentioned uh, on the show last week when I was on that my uh, airplane engine had been acting a little finicky. Um, so I've continued to uh, investigate that. As many of you know, I have a beach debonair which is basically like a bonanza straight tail bonanza and it has a uh, io470 engine in it and when i got it it was always kind of hard to there's a little bit of drag on the prop when you move the prop and i kind of chalked that up to it's a high compression engine it's a big six-cylinder engine with lots of rotating surfaces and i'm used to the little worn out four-cylinder continental that's in the luscombe that i had uh, been nearly solely flying before this so I didn't think anything of it. Um, it got a little tighter to turn after it ran when it was hot, which is also a little unusual. But to my recollection, it had always been like that since I had the airplane. I'm not. I'm a little more self-conscious about that now that I've talked this through with a bunch of people, but I'm still pretty sure. So anyway, I had a buddy um, that I mentioned that to, and he said, nah, that's really weird. We should look into that some more. So we, we started kind of looking into it and... Um, and we like measured the force on the propeller uh, when it was cold and when it was hot. And I talked to the engine shop and they said, yeah, something's going on there. So um, talked to a, another engine guy and he said the starter. So on this engine, it's got a right angle starter adapter. So there's a, the gear on the back of the crankshaft essentially runs this like right angled thing. And the starter comes off the side. It's kind of a weird deal. They're not super, reliable and so uh somebody said well you know the the clutch in that adapter doesn't always disengage so that can cause some drag so uh we pulled the starter and the starter adapter off it didn't make a difference we pulled the alternator off it didn't make a difference uh then we pulled the cylinders off and that didn't make a difference and that's when i knew i kind of had a problem so we decided to um 
Let's see. I was going to try to share some pictures, I think. Uh, so this is the engine sitting in my airplane. We've taken the cylinders off. Um, at this point, it was still had like a fair amount of drag rotating the engine. Um, so I was uh, consulting with, we have an engine shop about uh, half an hour north of Wichita that is uh, pretty well known around here and does, and does good work. So I was talking to them. Uh, the local mechanic um, that I know real well here at our field. I was talking to him. Um, so we pulled the cylinders off. That didn't do it. At that point, we realized we had to, or decided we had to take the engine out of the airplane. So um, there's my poor airplane sitting, sans propeller and oh. cylinders. You can see the cylinder assemblies there by the left wing. So in front of the left wing. Yeah. I, yeah. I was telling the crew that I don't think there's anything more sad than an a propellerless piston Engine airplane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, here we are. Engine's coming out of the airplane. Uh, I mean, that's not a small undertaking. Yeah, to take the engine, engine out? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a small undertaking. It's also like one of those things. I think I talked about this. I don't remember if I talked about this on the show or in a, in a crew log. Because I did a crew log when I was working on my landing gear. But... I'm always just like holding my breath a little bit when I got the airplane up on jacks, even though I've like dealt with the gear a lot now. It's definitely the same way when you're lifting the engine, like when you're moving the engine around at all, right? On a hoist or anything. It's like, I don't think this should go wrong. There's no reason to believe this should go wrong, but if it does, man, it'd be a bad day. It's not going to be good. Yeah. So we got the engine onto a, uh, an engine stand there and started disassembling it. And uh, essentially what we found was that um, this is like a close-up shot. Oh, this is not really good. Let me do this one. So here you can see the engine split in half. And uh, these are the main journals. So the crankshaft sits in those little half moon shapes. Inside those half moon shapes is the main bearing, which is not a like roller bearing or ball bearing that most people are probably familiar with. The main bearings in these airplane engines are literally just like a little sheet, a little piece of metal that's not much more than sheet metal. I mean, it's a high tolerance part and it's got a coating on it and everything, but it's uh, just a it's just a shell basically. So you can see here that bearing has shifted forward a little bit and the tang mm. on the bearing is no longer lined up with the notch in the case. Mm-hmm. And likewise, if we look at the other, this is the other case half. And so those bearings and that. that oh, it's moved, supposed to be, it moved a lot. Yeah. So it moved like. I mean, I don't know what the, the scale is there. Thousandths. Yeah. So it, it's all relative, right? So 60 right. to 80 thousandths, it moved probably like not quite the thickness of two credit cards. Um, but enough to. But enough that it. Cause all those issues. Yeah. It was, we were probably pretty close to having a real bad day. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The question, the outstanding question is, did this happen during assembly of the engine? The engine was put together in 1991. That was the last overhaul. Hmm. Is it? It's possible that these bearings have just been um, misassembled and running for the last 700 hours because um, hmm. they're still. Uh, if you look, so the the most critical part of the of these bearings is these holes and the little notch you see below that hole. That's how the uh, crank case or the crankshaft gets oiled. And so a lot yeah. of times what will happen is you'll, if you get, have a bearing spin, that oiling hole no longer lines up with the oil galley or whatever you call it. I don't know what the technical I term gotcha. is. That. The 
the oil entry point for the oil. Yeah. Basically. So you no longer get oil on the crankshaft and then things get like super hot and mm -hmm. like are rubbing and like bad things happen. Yeah. yeah. It goes bad real quick. So we, we I took all this stuff to the engine shop and he was like, I said, I think that this has probably been put together like this possibly since the engine was built. Uh, and he, and I said, I, I don't know if it like would have run forever. And he was like, it's possible that it could have run another thousand hours or whatever. If it's been like that, he was like, it's also possible that in the next few hours, that bearing would have give shifted up. more and the engine would have lasted five to 10 minutes and then yeah. failed catastrophically. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the moral of that whole story is uh, my engine's all in pieces right now. Uh, I've got it, about half of it up at the engine shop. I'm taking the other half of it up uh, probably tomorrow or this weekend. And we are working on a uh, recovery plan to get the engine put back together. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, not uh, definitely not good news, but um, well, well, it's good news in the sense that it didn't come happened, to the point right? that like, nothing catastrophic dad, happened. That's what my dad keeps telling me. Yeah. He keeps saying, like, just think it's about what 100% good happened. news that yeah. nothing catastrophic happened. Yeah. It's not. I'm sure it's time consuming to and which, expensive. To which, I keep, to which I keep saying, yeah, but if something would have happened in flight and I was able to like survive the off field landing, the insurance would have paid for the whole engine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I probably need to stop saying that's not that. a, that's not a or risk worth taking. No, it's just not, that's man. not a spot just, you want to be in. Yeah. 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 No, no, um, that's I don't mean that. Obviously, I, have some, I know. I, I have know, some advice for you, though. I think, or I think I might know what's happened here. Those little wood uh, shimmy things yeah. up there at the top of the frame. You shouldn't put that inside the the well, engine. That's true. Oh, you shouldn't shim the um, no. the uh, them back in place with. Wooden well, well I mean, it's worth a try, but I don't know. I'd probably, I'd probably that's true. not. I, I will say one of my one of my great like fears or frustrations in life is using any sort of hammer in any sort of operation on an airplane. And I've frustrated multiple people that I've worked with when I like throw a fit, not, I don't throw a fit, but like, I'm, I'm like, do we really have to hit the airplane with a hammer? And, uh, yeah. So this was kind of our, this was kind of like our compromise is that we were, uh, using wood and wedges rather than just hitting stuff with hammers. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. malletized yeah, that's the proper term, I think. Just take it back at it. <laughs> So, yeah, that's the main thing that's been going on in my life. Um, my folks, I think I've mentioned also that my folks got a sailboat. So we got oh. the we got their sailboat out on the water. And uh, I took uh, my son Cannon out there uh, last weekend for the first time. We didn't go out and sail it, but um, we uh, went out and did a little work on the boat. There's still a little bit of setup, I guess, um, that we're finishing up and then then we need to learn how to sail it because I don't know anything about boats or water or sailing. <laughs> sailing. <laughs> yeah. The boat has a motor. This boat has a little bitty motor on the back. So we can like motor it in and out of the slip. I think theoretically we could also like motor it out into the main lake area. So sailing is great as long as you're sailing with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And you can just assist. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll see how long, uh, we'll see how long that takes if I have enough, um, do your parents know how to sail? Patience. My dad does. Okay. Yeah. We had a sailboat. Standard standard story, right? We had a sailboat when I was a kid. My dad loves telling this story, so I'll just tell it for him since he's not here. Uh, <laughs> we had like a, either a 16 or an 18-foot sailboat when I was a kid, when I was a very little kid. Like my dad had it before we were born, and then 
he had one kid and then he had two kids and then he had three kids. And my mom was like, you need to sell the boat. We need to sell the boat and get a bigger boat. Cause we all can't fit on the little bit. We're going to need a bigger boat. And my, and my dad made the boat. cardinal mistake of selling the little boat before he had the big boat oh. acquired. And so there's about a 30 year gap in his it's boat no, ownership, yeah. but he's finally, no he's finally gotten the bigger boat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, well, good for him. Now he's got yep. grandchildren. So. I thought you were going to tell the story, like my story where I almost, well, we almost capsized a sailboat when I was a very small child, but that's a different story for another time. Hmm. <laughs> Are you a, do you know how to sail uh, stuff? I understand the concepts. I would not say I have any proficiency in sailing. Well, I understand the concept that you put a sail up and the wind blows it. No, there's more sailing. to it than oh, that. Oh, more to everybody, it than that? Everybody oh, yes. telling me it's just like an airplane wing. The sail is just, sail works just like an airplane wing. And I'm like, it doesn't because I know how airplanes work and I don't have the it's first thing. I like well, I mean, so the, the, the concepts are broadly applicable, right? <laughs> like how to read what the wind is doing and the, what the waves are doing and how to set up your mainsail and your jib and how to tack. I mean, those are all. It's when the winds change right in the middle of your Sounds very tacky. I don't recall going over tacking in private pilot school though. Yeah. No, it's not a thing in airplanes. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for getting us all caught up. You guys. Mm -hmm. glad, um, here. glad that you're here. Yeah. We've missed you. And, uh, that's just that time of year. It's get, it's getting tough for all of us to be on the show at, all at the same time. But mm -hmm. we're we're doing our best on this episode to get uh, almost everyone piecemeal uh, that, it all together. That Rick kinda. guy, I don't know what the heck he's doing. Or where he went he back is. to flying really big airplanes, and yeah. now he's like all over got, the world. So he got too big for us again. Oh, that's true. I literally, yeah. of that. literally. I, I was really all happy for him, and, and but now that I'm thinking about it. I'm not yeah. happy for him at all anymore. <laughs> oh, well. Go back to the light twin, Rick. Yeah. Come we'll, back. Come back. We saw you every once in a while. Okay. Well, looks like it must be time for some more or some more. Yeah. Some more feedback. Let me hit this little feedback thing. Nah, that's the news. Uh, <laughs> I know I'll be able to find it. Here it is. Okay, doke. We're going to start with audio feedback, and uh, that's item five for all of you uh, uh, kind of following along at home. And here we go. This is from JJ Pittsburgh. Greetings, APGers. It's JJ Pittsburgh here. Um, so I had two questions. It's been a while. My first question is for Captain Jeff. So when you do this RV tour, across the country are you going to make a stop in pittsburgh so i could um, show you around town and i could be your personal uber driver and um, show you the sites and we could have spend a day and hang out um, that was the first question the second question is for anyone that like to answer um, for the pilots there so pittsburgh airport is getting redone essentially so um, they're streamlining it. Essentially, the airport was um, too big for its britches, so to speak. It was built larger because of U.S. Airways back in the day. And U.S. Air um, essentially left and moved their hub to Charlotte. 
and that essentially left the Pittsburgh airport high and dry. So without all that extra traffic from there, it was too big for, it was too sizable for the traffic that came in because it was lessened when U.S. Air left. So they're streamlining to one terminal. But my question is, have you ever dealt with an airport that was under construction and had, so does it affect the uh, flying in? Did you ever have something happen where they're doing construction and they change your flight patterns? Um, they maybe close a runway. Um, I was just curious about that. If that affects pilots or is it just business as usual? Um, or do they affect like what gate you go in because of construction? Just curious if you ran into that. I deal a lot with the construction doing Uber at the airport. They're, they're like kind of, uh, really it's a mess because it's, um, all the roads are closed. Um, certain roads are closed and they reroute things. There's a lot of one lane coming in. So it's like. Um, to do pickups, you're stuck in traffic a lot. I dealt with that at BNA as well when I was out there. And uh, so anyway, I was just wondering if it affects pilots. All right. Well, that's all I have for now. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs> Thanks, JJ. Um, yeah, I'm going to be had, uh, heading up to Pittsburgh uh, on my way heading north and on my way back down south, I'm sure that uh, Pittsburgh will be along my route. And you know, it, it's not just a tour I'm doing in the uh, in the RV. It's it's going to be my house for the rest of my life. <laughs> so my house on it's wheels. A lifestyle. Yeah, my lifestyle. And uh, I will look very much forward to uh, having you take me around and showing me the sights and sounds of uh, the the city of Pittsburgh. And uh, so. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And also just heading all kinds of different places around the country and having little meetups here and there uh, along the way. So uh, it's all about, um, you know, adventure and experiences for the rest of my life after I after I uh, retire. Um, as far as uh, like construction, oh, I've never seen an airport that's been under construction. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> except all of them. Well, except that yeah, all the time. I've been doing this now. Have you been to Charlotte recently? Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah, they're still... Uh, In like the past 15 years. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing a lot of... I, it's just... I've told... I've said this to people that if you really don't know what to do with your life and you're looking for a good job, get into airport construction. But Because apparently you're always ending. going to have work. Always going to have work. The problem is every airport ever was built with... A certain time frame in mind and mm -hmm. not looking at all towards the future so by the time it's built you've moved into the future right and you've moved beyond your needs and all of yep. a sudden it's still a problem so it just continues indefinitely you know in general uh when they're doing uh modifications construction to terminals and concourses and various gates it affects us in a in a minor way i mean obviously when gates are closed or concourses are closed then you're going to be going to a different concourse and different gates that kind of thing um and as far as the access to the gates and the concourses and terminals they try not to change too much because it's one thing to like 
close a road or build a new road outside, you know, accessing the, uh, the, the airport from the, the public view, um, viewpoint. But as far as airplanes are concerned, I don't know if you've ever seen a taxiway or a runway under construction, but I don't know how many feet thick those things are to support the weight of these airplanes, but it's not an easy undertaking and it's, it's a big deal. And so they, so at, at Charlotte right now, they're building an end around, around, um, mm-hmm. The, the center runway? Yeah, the south, uh, 1 8, I mean, uh, at the north end of it. The north end of the center runway. Oh, are they? Okay. They're also yeah. doing that thing down on the south end. Uh, are they? Yeah, they're doing something down on the south end as well. Right. There's a lot that's going to change with all of that, which mm-hmm. will hopefully help, but hopefully they haven't been real short sighted in their, you know, growth forecasts and predictions. But that's, yeah. That's one of the things that has made the Atlanta International Airport. Uh, very, very efficient is mm. the um, what we call the, the Victor Loop, and now we have the Whiskey Loop that uh, basically are taxiways that go. You don't have to cross a runway anymore. You can go around it, and uh, it just makes the traffic flow so much more efficient. Um, although it was weird the other morning, we came in. There was oh, it was it was a Memorial Day. We came back from Huntsville, and there was like n- nobody taxiing out for takeoff on two seven right there was there was nobody in nobody in line and so we're, we land on two seven left and we're thinking we're going to go right straight across and we're going to get to the gate in just you know minutes and they said uh, roger turn left on uh, november and taxi via the whiskey loop which is the new end around thing that's on the uh, west end of the runway and my, my co-pilot says wouldn't it, is it okay if we cross the runway? And they go, nope, proceed there, uh, via the whiskey loop. And we're looking at each other like, what are we missing there's here? no there's, other there's, traffic there's, out here. There's no reason for us. I'm thinking, do they have to have a certain number of operations on this whiskey loop every day to verify? We have to, to justify to its justify existence. It? I, I, we, we were just throwing our hands up like, seriously? This is crazy. Uh, anyway. That is crazy. Sounds like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, don't know, know what, what to the say about ex- that. Uh, logical explanation would be because it wasn't like the runway, the cro- the crossing. I know what happens. The same person who runs the ramp at my local airport. Oh. <laughs> you're t- you're talking got about a new job. Yes. Oh my gosh. Got a new Those job. Ramp people there, bless their hearts. In Atlanta. <laughs> anyway, so we, uh, we have yeah. an interesting uh, airport construction thing going on here in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, which is where our state university is at. They are redoing the runways, and they've got two runways. And they're redoing – they've closed the airport down for the whole summer. So they could redo both runways at the same time, which I thought was a little interesting. I mean, it sounds terrible, but maybe that's the most efficient way just to get things done. Like the the least amount of disruption over time. Yeah, I mean, maybe. disrupt everything all at once for a short amount of time, or most things – a little bit at a time in different ways for a very long period of time. Unless you're a major airline centric kind of um, airport. So, so they do have airline service, but it's super small airline service. Yeah. right? But yeah. I, just, I just thought you could maybe do one runway and keep like all the GA flowing or whatever. Mm-hmm. It seems like if you have two runways, you could keep one open. Yeah. But, but the other thing that I thought was interesting is you go and look up NOTAMs, right? Uh, and there's like an ODP NOTAM. That's what NOTAMs like, are. They're just a bunch of garbage. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there's the first NOTAM listed is an ODP NOTAM. Then it's got a initial uh, an IAP 
Oh, that, so it's got an RNAV notum, uh, altimeter unreliable notum, blah, blah, blah. The eighth notum listed is, oh, yeah, runway 321 is closed, which seems like the most important thing that's happening there. You think? It would and then be, you go down. Uh, it's, it's number four on the list, number three on the list. Not the, it's num- not the it's number, number eight. eight. Oh, number eight. Number eight on the list is one runway. And then uh, 9, 10, 11 is the helipad is closed. 13 is the other runway is closed. And then 14 <laughs> is all the taxiways are closed. You would think number one, two, and two, three, and four would be everything is closed. Yeah. You would think one, right? You'd just say number one. The, all, all runways, the helipad, and areas, active movement areas are all closed. All following note hems make, doesn't yeah. matter because everything is closed. And we I still say, have cranes and birds and things. Yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say, I don't know how this list is, is like... So I, I think what happens with them is that they're just put down in the order that they're yeah issued. chronological that they are, order. yeah that, that someone puts them into the out. system yeah. yeah which is not and a there's good way no to attempt do it. made to prioritize them it's yeah. just not a comment here this is, Jeff. I put this down at three forty five three forty seven three fifty one three and yeah. like someone's just like inputting all of them that's mm-hmm. just how it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, main man Micah says uh, when Portland Maine Airport was redoing its runway. Uh, the airline. Uh, it they is, asked the airlines. Oh, they asked he, the airlines. Uh, can we close it down for three days, or how about just nights for thirty days? The airlines chose the thirty days at night. Yeah, that's sure. That's yeah. my recollection of how they did it in San Luis Obispo. Also, mm-hmm. maybe ten years ago when they resurfaced the, the runway, is they closed the airport at night and mm-hmm. did all the work at night. That's more of a hassle, of mm-hmm. course, for the workers, and they have you yeah. know, have to do the lighting and everything else. But it's a longer timeline for the construction company. But no. so surely someone's done the cost benefit analysis on what's what the best thing is to do for the airport that you're at, the operators that are there, and the company that's actually doing the construction. Right. And there, there are times that, uh, like Atlanta, when they're redoing parts of the ramps, uh, like the south end or north end of certain ramp two or whatever, you know, you have to pay attention to that. And sometimes it involves more more of a circuitous route to your gate or out from your gate to the runways but all in all as i said they try to minimize the uh tra- changes in traffic patterns as much as they can when it comes to the airplanes as far as the cars and the buses and everything else approaching the uh, airport from the land side not so much they don't care that much <laughs> uh let's see oh we have a, we have some love for charlotte here oh, okay uh, WT Hurley says, or WD Hurley says, I love Charlotte 18 left, uh, 36 right. Oh, uh, if you actually get the right side, that's a bonus. I actually um, landed on that. Uh, I think the last time I flew into Charlotte. That's not helpful for you, though. No, not at all. Based on where you park. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all of the regionals want the east runway mm-hmm. because they're going to E Concourse, which is on that side. Mm-hmm. All I listen to all day long when I'm flying jumpers. Is request for if it's north operations three six right, mm-hmm. less so for one eight left, but a lot of requests for three six right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he says I love Charlotte. One eight left three six right had a small portion of pavement that was replaced and was ungrooved. Because of that ungrooved patch, our humble uh, Embraer one forty five couldn't make the performance requirements. No time was buried. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> And so what did that make the entire runway ungrooved, basically? Basically, uh, probably yeah. for their performance calculations. Uh, if it's not all grooved, it's ungrooved. Crazy. WD mm-hmm. is identifying himself there. Uh, Monster Airlines pilot, uh, WD, 
owned by yes. yeah, I, I know, yeah, by I, a patriotic I know airline. Okay. I got you, American. So. Uh huh. Uh huh. Cool. Yep. Well, gr- glad you're here with us. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, let's jump to item number eleven. This is a sad, sad situation. Oh, this is a sad situation. Uh, Glaucus <laughs> uh, writes so in sad. and says, Hi, team. Another quick so news feedback for me. It seems that Jeff's current tool of trade is going to be retired in Australia before Jeff does. Uh, and then he sent us a link to this article from msn.com. And Qantas dumps aging regional workhorse for sexier model. Oh, hmm. yeah. So they're talking about the airplanes or the pilots? I, I don't. I think they're talking about the old <laughs> <Yes>. pilots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess both apply in this case. Uh, Australia's national airline is preparing to swap its regional link plane for a cleaner, younger, and quieter aircraft. Qantas will give the Boeing 717 the boot next month, replacing it with a new fleet of airplanes with lower emissions, lower range, less noise. The CEO, Alan Joy, says it's the end of an era for the 717s, but the new A220s can operate double the range, opening up new routes for customers. Um, anyway, blah, blah, blah. It's an exciting time for employees. We can't wait to get rid of this piece of junk, 717. <laughs> um, no, actually, uh, he is one of the CEOs, uh, along with uh, uh, the the Acme CEO and uh, the Hawaiian, I think, is the other airline that operates the 717, and uh, who basically praise it and wish that they could make more of them. But apparently, this guy's changed his mind. So um, now, well, interestingly, I mean, the A220 is kind of sexy. Yeah, it is. A, it's a it's a great airplane. It's a good looking airplane. Yeah, um, but. I don't, well, I mean, I'm not going to get into what, how an airplane looks and how sexy it is. <laughs> it has literally nothing to do with anything, no. let's be honest. But um, what I'm more, well, so uh, what I was going to say is, interestingly, the number two uh, 717 uh, captain at uh, Acme is retiring in just under two weeks. And oh, wow. I've heard that he is involved in the operation to fly all of these Qantas or former Qantas Link 717s up from Australia and get them all the way back here to Atlanta. Um, and mm. uh, obviously a very circuitous route um, along the, I guess, the ring of fire, I, you, you could describe Going it. up through yeah. Asia and... Right. Yep, the Pacific Rim. Alaska all the way around and until Canada get to the, back down. Yeah. Obviously, because the, there's unless they did huge modifications and you know huge fuel tanks, there's no way that they Neil's could fly got across a great the Pacific. Here, Jeff. Uh, what is Neil saying? All the emissions from the elderly always a problem. Yes, it is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how much of a problem that no, really he is. Does not know. <laughs> we're not going to share. No, we're not um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's finish it off with twelve. Yeah. Let's do that. Item number 12. We're going to put the finishing touch on this thing. Uh, this is from Sam. And uh, Sam uh, Dawson. Dalton, da- Dawson. Dawson, Dawson, I'm sorry. Um, Liz, uh, Jeff asked me if he could forward this to you some time ago. I don't know if you got around to it or that's uh, if it's even feedback worthy. Uh, my non-pilot sister was re- recently flying Cincinnati to Orlando. Or some other lower Florida airport. She complained to me that the flight was delayed for weather, even though the weather was great in Florida and in Cincinnati. (laughs) 
<laughs> you get this all the time. I asked which airline, and she said Acme. Of course, I told her that was her first mistake. Sam. Aww. Come on, Sam. No I, more feedback from Sam. Yeah, no. He's off the list. Well, he. I don't, you know, he, he, well, he's a great guy. I then decided to check the weather, and this is what I found. Uh, so are we showing that uh, now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, in between Cincinnati and some lower Florida airport. Um, so Cincinnati, great weather. Florida, great weather. Mm-hmm. In between those two points. Pretty much most of Georgia. Not Like very Charlotte. Good yeah. All of South Carolina. Big front. Kind of a disaster when it yeah. comes to weather. Yeah. Very much so. And, and you have to traverse those regions to get from Cincinnati to Florida if you are not familiar with U.S. geography. Right. Either you got to go way up north and around the top end of it or all the way down to the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. And as you look at this flight aware map, you can see that basically everyone's just going way around it. Very mm-hmm. few airplanes are in the mix of the weather. They're the brave ones. Yep. Or stupid. Which, or stupid. Uh, which whatever applies. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so that, I, I can't tell you how many times. Always. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I don't like flying late in the afternoon and night anymore, especially during the times of year where you have thunderstorms and stuff like that. It's just like trying to explain to people, yes, I know it's beautiful here and it's beautiful in Atlanta, but between here and there, it's awful. And it the traffic can't get bet- can't do from it. here to we there. And so we're going to have to wait until the weather gets better and we can find a way to get through it. Uh, anyway. We have that problem all the time with people who come out to do tandem skydives. They look at the weather and they're like, it seems fine right now. I'm like, well, that overcast layer is at like 4,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So, so this is, is not going to How much work. do you need for a tandem? Like 12 <laughs> or something? Or? I like 10, 10 at least. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you need a yeah. little extra. Like this is, this is not going to work. Yeah, it seems great right now. Weather's nice, temperature's nice, little breeze. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's overcast at four thousand. So, yeah. So, like, oh, but I see like a little bit of blue over there. No. Like, that's great. Yeah, you don't understand this flying thing, do you? Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> no, no concept. <sighs> All right, well, wrap up time, um, and uh, I think we'll start by telling you about our website, airlinepilotguy.com. Lots of good stuff over there. Information about the crew and the community and merchandise and information about the plane tails and uh we have a library uh Jeff tiffany will be putting our his librarian. Trip on the calendar um i will uh what will i do put it what will put i put the trip to the uk on the oh calendar. yes the trip to the uk i'll definitely put uh, put that on the calendar and any information about uh meetups while i'm there in uh in england and uh yeah so lots of good stuff there check it out airlinepilotguy.com and we're also on social media, what I like to call the social memes. And Steph is just brilliant at telling us all about them. It's been so long since I've <laughs> talked about our social media presence, uh-huh. but I'm very excited too. And I'm sorry to tell. whoever has <laughs> had to take on that responsibility over the past. It's been messy. Four to six <laughs> weeks, it's I'm not sure. Yes. 
Anyway, we're on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at APG crew. And if you go to the top of that page, you'll find our individual Twitter handles pinned there. And then also Instagram. I do know for certain now that Nick is posting our artwork there on a regular basis. So that is APG crew as well. Hope to see you on the social meets. And if you'd like to take the plunge with hello. Well, speaking of a mess, the Slack thing. Uh, let's see if hello. Hello. Want to do a uh, Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. We're used to it by now. Come on over. Put the, ta- put the towel on first, please. Thank you. Okay, now come over here and tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Really appreciate all the work that you do. Yes, I mind. I wish you'd get his Seems own Seems a little razor. too personal. I, you just I, buy them one. They're really not that expensive. I mean, maybe like a birthday gift, that's a, a good Hanukkah idea. present. That's a good idea. I'm not sure. Thank you. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll be uh, we we can pay for that with the coffee fund. And uh, <laughs> let's see. We'd also like to thank, of course, our producer Liz Piper up in Toronto, Con, uh, Con, Con, Ontario, Ontario, Canada. I'm just I've just coined a new name. It's New Ontario, Canada, Ontario. Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that was good, guys. Great to see both of you today. Thanks for making the time. I'm so glad we got a chance to be here. And I'm sorry it's been difficult. Oh, hey. It's, it's no, don't just apologize. Life. You're yeah, just busy. Busy yeah. yeah. guys. All right. Well, and thank you uh, to our live audience that uh, hung in there with us for uh, both parts. Kind of a last-minute thing. And... Uh, we really do appreciate you. We love you. We love all of you out there who uh, listen to the show and tell others about it. And um, thank you. And until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Uh, talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall oh, I got no friends 
Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine 